talked about a shocking turn of events last night. Let's talk a little bit that we have new World Tag Team Champions. The Outsiders defeat Harlem Heat, become the World Tag Team Champions. Hollywood Hulk Hogan retains the WCW World Heavyweight title. We'll be talking more about that. But the most shocking turn of events last night, Larry, was at the end of the program when out walked Rowdy Roddy Piper. You heard me right. Rowdy Roddy Piper. No one was more shocked than Hollywood Hulk Hogan. As a matter of fact, when Piper came out and held center court, and as he was talking to Hulk Hogan, some very startling words bannered back and forth between the two. We will show you and listen to that interview later on in the second hour of this telecast tonight, Larry. We know the stench of the new world odor, unfortunately, is growing stronger. They are now in possession of the heavyweight championship and the tag team championships of the world at least we've got a maybe superhero in the making a man who came out of the woodwork competition for hollywood hulk hogan at least roddy piper's movies are better than hogan's you can't deny what roddy piper has meant to this welcome to where the big boys play Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. <laughs> I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amontorp. How are you doing? This week, Dave. I am doing great. I mean, I'm a little surprised that Tony is really enthusiastic considering that things didn't go very well for the WCW at the pay-per-view last night. That's a good point. Um, and also, I feel like I am going to uh, make a pledge that for the time between now and World War Three, I will not complain about how much time it's taking before we get into that pay-per-view. Sure. Because now we're, now we're getting back to just a regular four weeks which is just like it is for any other pay-per-view, so there should not be any sort of complaints going on there. Well, before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro, and you can always email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, if you are to do any of those things, one thing you might want to tweet Facebook uh, post on Facebook isn't that's what the kids call it right it's posting yeah <laughs> yeah posting yep uh, or emailing you can you can send us a Greg Valentine roast and this week's roast this is a little bit of an atypical one this is uh, this is from at moose underscore Bigelow on Twitter hmm. uh, and this is more of a story he he, he sort of summarized a story for me that uh, something that R.D. Reynolds the writer over at Russell Crap who also co-authored the death of WCW with Brian Alvarez okay uh, he told a story in a WrestleCrap mailbag once where apparently a woman went to a meet and greet and met Greg Valentine for the first time. And during the question and answer period, she asked uh, why his nickname was The Hammer. And he gave whatever explanation he said. And she she replied, you're ugly. They should call you Mr. Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's more of a recap of a, a roast <laughs> that happened to his face. But I still find Happened it very funny. Happened to his ugly face. She was. I think she felt like she was being helpful. Well, you, <laughs> you've just, got a much better gimmick right in front of you. You're very <laughs> ugly. Right. <laughs> you should be making money off of that instead. Come on. 
Well, today is October 28th, 1996, and we are coming to you live as live can be from the America West Arena in Phoenix, Arizona, in front of 6,300 fans, 3,175 of whom paid for a total gate of $34,771. This is the 59th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we are finally leaving Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc in the rear view and beginning to build to November 24th's World War III. Okay, and I actually, I, I don't really do this often, but I have a bold prediction going into this Monday Nitro. Ooh, by this is means. something, by the way, I did write it down before I watched the episode. I predict that we will pretend that Macho Man Randy Savage does not exist anymore ah. and that he will not have an appearance uh, here tonight. I think it's one of those things where they, they kind of put up with him being on until they got through the Slim Jim co-branded match, and now they're like, until we figure out the contract, we're not having... Word one from you. Uh, and yeah, and that would actually probably be a smart way to play it because if he's right. off your TV, you don't have a deal with him, let's not hype up the guy or involve him in our storylines when he could be on Raw uh, next week, you know? Right, exactly. Uh, well, before we get into the recap of today's show, there's some unfinished business uh, from last week's episode where we talked about uh, Hogan sent a promo that he was the... He, he was talking his promo after he beat Savage and he said that he was the true box office champion that 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 match proved it right uh i understand that you uh, and we have actually discussed this on twitter a little bit but many of the listeners are on twitter you've done some math you actually have put some calculations together mm-hmm. why don't you give us some box office info between those two or or wrestlers in general who is the box office champion well when we're talking uh around the time like with hogan and savage in particular i, I think most people will realize that the real like champ nowadays is the rock. Yes. And it's the rock by a wide, wide margin. Yeah. I believe it was somewhere around about $10.5 billion. His movies have made insane. And, and I think probably not surprising anymore, but Batista is the second like biggest uh, box office person when it comes to like a former professional wrestler. Yeah. He's picked some big franchises to appear in, which is smart for the old pocketbook. Right. Uh, but he, and he is at four point nine billion dollars, so he is not even half. Yeah, but that's dis- I mean that's still a crazy amount of money. There's actors, right. very very famous actors that have not <laughs> had movies that have grossed right. nearly that much money. Yeah, so I kind of that was kind of going down the rabbit hole of seeing who made a lot of money and was a former professional wrestler. But the focus here was on Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in particular, because I know that when we were talking about um, Hogan saying that he has conquered Hollywood. Um, and that there was this idea that maybe Savage is actually one up on him because he's in by far the biggest movie those between the two of them, sure. which is the original Spider-Man in 2002. Right. So uh, what I did was I took um, all of Hogan's, all the movies that he was an actor in, and all and Savage's all that he was an actor in. So people people raise this question on Twitter when we say that we mean anything that they've got an IMDb credit for, right? Not... It doesn't matter if they were the star or whether they had a cameo. Just right. anything that they were in, period. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then uh, and then to be fair, since um, a lot of Hogan's um, IMDb, his credits are far be- before international box offices were being considered. Yeah. So I kept those off of the, the total number. So this is all domestic. And... I took the time to recalculate all of the all the uh, ones for inflation too. Oh, that was everyone else. That was the second biggest question. Was oh, okay. If it was adjusted for inflation because I was like, that would not be fair to Rocky Three because Rocky Three was big back in 1982. Sure, yeah. And that number pretty much doubles for Rocky Three when ah. you do inflation. So, 
taking all these into consideration and if people want because I, I actually I'm now back on Twitter again um, I can post this for people to see the the movies I have on here and remind the people your Twitter handle and that is at Dave Amator um, so Hulk Hogan domestic for his career is at six hundred and forty five million uh, nine hundred eighty two thousand nine hundred thirty two dollars where Randy Savage with his three movie credits it was at seven hundred and twenty-seven million one hundred thirty thousand three hundred fifty-five dollars estimated. So he is about, um, let me see, about eighty million ahead of Hogan for his three credits, which would be uh, Ready to Rumble in two thousand, uh-huh. Spider-Man, and then he was a voice in the movie Bolt, which came out in two thousand eight. John Travolta animated classic Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you put in the word classic. Hey, you know, I'd say between <laughs> Bolt and Spider-Man 2, okay, let's forget Ready to Rumble. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like, uh, those are pretty respected credits, whereas Hogan has a lot of right. Santa with muscles going on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then I also figured three out... Three ninjas kick, kick back on the Mega Mountain high, <laughs> high noon style or <laughs> whatever. Um, and then I also looked, I took, there's, I think, about six movies that Hulk Hogan has been in, which he's been... The main attraction. Okay. And I'll, I'll quickly just list these off. That is No Holds Barred, Suburban Commando, Mr. Nanny, uh, Santa with Muscles, uh-huh. uh, th- and three, ninja- three Ninjas. All five of those, he is like a main credit. Yeah, yeah. And that box office was about $54 million Okay. Combined. Right. So that's a pretty it's pa- a paltry sum. It's a pretty and that's with inflation too. So sure. He's wow. not being he's not being ripped off there. Yeah. <laughs> so Conquering Hollywood, debatable. Although which, I'll give it to this, you know, he's a heel. So him yeah. getting in there plus oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, plus yeah, he's saying sure. this in 1996, six years before Spider Man was released in theaters. Right. So I mean, w- we're making fun of him a little bit for something that was not even true at the time he said it. Right. It's just well, I've, interesting thought experiment. Uh, and then and then there was you know when Roddy Piper came into the ring and he's suggesting that he's also conquered Hollywood. Yes. For the record, I didn't even bother with that because yeah. Piper has very very little to his name that's even worth like figuring it out. I mean, they yeah, live, he retired to be an actor, but other than I mean, I know he was in things, but other yeah. than they live, I know there are some. I'm not. I'm sure there's like right. ones that people are like, actually, this one movie is great. I'm sure it is. It's just they live is literally the only one I can think of. Right. So. That was that was one where I was like, mm, I'm not really gonna go go down that rabbit hole. So you know, his only other acting credit that springs to mind is uh, his episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which are great. He's wonderful in that. I don't know if you've seen those. I no, I haven't. He's like a washed up wrestler living out of his car, and he always is finding ways like to scam them out of money. He's only in maybe oh. like three episodes at most, but they're and, they're and so always very funny. They don't even just say he's Roddy Piper. They say he's like. Glenn. No, it would be sadder because I mean he's living in a car. If it was Roddy Piper himself, like wouldn't that be funnier though? <laughs> it would, but I could see where he would not want the image. Yeah, even if it's for a joke, you know what I mean. But I I agree, it would have been funny had uh, had he played himself. Yeah, I've, now that I'm thinking of it, and I will I will look into this as as we kind of continue along. I feel like Roddy Piper played like some pop star's dad in a movie, hmm. but I can't think of what it is right now. But because you're not thinking of Lou Albano being Cindy Lauper's dad. In the <laughs> girls just want to have fun video. Close. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, <laughs> that's, that's worth a shot. A thing. All right. Well, let's get into the meat of the October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six Nitro. As Tony welcomes us to the show with pyro exploding and the Phoenix crowd going nuts. Tony is in a collared shirt with the top button unbuttoned, a navy sport coat, 
and Larry is doing the very 90s thing of a t-shirt under a black sport coat. Uh, this is a look that I have to admit, unfortunately, I, I've trotted out in the last like two years probably. <laughs> okay. It's not a good look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, his t-shirt in this case is a bright blue Superman t-shirt. Like the blue Superman t-shirt with the logo right in the middle of the chest. I had yeah. this shirt at one point. Yeah, I mean, I I can get the idea behind it, but yeah. it's like he has like all the wrong colors on to make it work for yeah. one thing. And another thing, it's like, Superman, nah, I don't. I don't feel it. Don't re- don't really feel it. It's just it's a weird combo, especially for the character of Larry Zabisco. It doesn't feel natural that he's in a comic book T-shirt. Um, I don't know. It did make a lot of sense to me. He tries to tie it together with one line about how WCW needs a superhero, and maybe they've found one in Piper. Uh, that's like the only connection. It reminds me of when Mongo used to have like Pepe in a cowboy outfit, and he'd be like, "Well, he's here because it's a rootin' tootin' time in WCW," <laughs> and then that'd be like the only mention of it. <laughs> right. It reminded me of that. I miss Pepe. <laughs> I also miss the heel dog that was only around for like one or two weeks. I, I uh. Pepe made an unexpected appearance because he was. They were doing the the WWE did their list this yeah of times in which wrestlers have trash titles. Oh sure, and that was with a Lundra Blaze, and yeah. it was like, oh, there's Pepe. Yeah, what a look back in time that is. I bet they lost that heel dog. Like they had it for like one week, and then I think I bet they left it in a hotel room between towns and just forgot oh, it forever. Right. <laughs> Tony informs us that we have new tag team champions and that Hulk retained his title last night. But the most shocking turn of events was Roddy Piper's debut. We see some stills, and Tony says that we're going to see that segment later tonight. Larry bemoans the NWO capturing the tag team championships and says hopefully Piper is the superhero they need in the making. He also says, uh, dubiously, that Piper's movies are better than Hogan's. Other than They Live Again, I think we're probably talking apples to apples. (laughs) I mean... Uh, he could win one to nothing if that's what they're saying, but I mean that's also that's just forgetting that Rocky Three is a pretty good movie. Oh, that's that's a good point. I do love uh, Clubber Lang for sure. Hooventude Guerrera's awesome music hits, and out comes Hoovy to take on the returning reigning World Television Champion Lord Steven Regal. Regal is back from his mini world tour where he defended the television title on shows in both Europe and Japan. Uh, he's actually home a little bit early from that tour as his wife is nearing the end of her pregnancy. And is having some unspecified difficulties. Everything ends up fine. The, the kid's born fine. But oh, okay. uh, she was just having some complications and he came home to just uh, keep it, you know, be I at was, least in the same country. I was worried you're going to leave me hanging. No, that, no, no. Because I, um, I looked up the, I looked up around this part in his book and I think she ends up being born the day before, the day after Christmas. It's right around Christmas. I remember that he Wait, specifies whose that. whose book? Regal's book. Oh, Regal's. Yes. Why would... Okay, just cut this part out. Okay. I thought you were talking about Hooventude. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I would cut- definitely read a Hoovy book, though. Because I was like, is there a Hooventude Guerrero book? Oh, God, let's hope so. <laughs> now, in in his book, Regal says that WCW was supposed to send a camera crew out for some of the matches that he was having overseas to film them, and then they would show them on the syndicated shows, mm-hmm. and it was going to be like, the television champion's world tour, and that was something that he talked about, and they were behind the idea, and then WCW just... Did not follow through on that at all. They did not arrange for anyone to film it or anything. Hmm. Um, so that just never materialized. And he just won the title and then was gone for a few months. It's very very strange. Hmm. Uh, he also, unfortunately, at this point in his life, is on a real downward spiral of drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, he's still able to go, though. He still can put it together in the ring. But it is... I think I've said this before, um, the specific word for reading his book, it's harrowing. It's it's just like yeah. a nightmare journey, uh, which luckily comes out the other side. 
it's a, I mean, it's a good story in totality because mm-hmm. he's doing great to this day. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's just frightening to think of where and he's it, at. And I know we've talked about it before because I've always kind of believed that there must be something about like coming down from whatever he's using that causes him just to profusely sweat in the rain. Yeah, he does sweat a lot. Um, he takes, he. I, I don't remember the name. There's this like weird supplement that is illegal now that he was like having a ton of because it had some kind of weird amphetamine or something in it. Okay. Um, I, I, I'll try to remember to look it up for the next time. Um, but he would just like drink gallons of this stuff and uh, that perhaps one of the side effects of that is what's causing all that sweating. Hmm. Tony says the title is on the line tonight and referee Mark Curtis holds the belt up. Right before the bell rings, we get the surprising figure of Sting who appears to be sitting in the crowd somewhere. His makeup is uh, slightly different from his first appearance with the crow gimmick, as now he finally has his chin covered. Last time his chin was was unmakeuped. This time it's it's in white. Yeah, especially when you see it back-to-back like that. This looks a thousand times better. This is a big improvement. Yes. Definitely. And and I... And it's also kind of it's also a little bit weird because you know he he had kind of like a little bit more personality to him last week mm-hmm. when he kind of had like this knowing look on his face and now he is just sullen as fuck. Yeah, he's <laughs> definitely brooding. Yes, is he is. The, the note that they gave him. <laughs> right. If you think it's too much, do more yeah. brooding. <laughs> the camera slowly pulls back to show that he's sitting above all the other fans in an empty section. There's like an upper bowl that basically they didn't sell, mm-hmm. and he's sitting out there alone. Tony says that they're luxury boxes. Maybe they are. It's it's kind of obstructed by the lighting rig, so I couldn't quite like get a sense of how big that area. I would was. have guessed that that he was actually in like a low rafter or something like that. But yeah, there were a lot of seats around him though. Like it was yeah. some kind of fan section, but okay. it is completely empty except for him. Larry half-acidly tries to say that the black and white makeup that Sting's wearing is like the yin and yang, opposite forces opposing one another. Right. Just like he he's. recognizes <laughs> that they both have similar colors. Yeah, but That's, like to that degree, the NWO are black and white. Are they yeah. a, a, supposed to be the yin and the yang, Larry? Like, that so far, I'm very surprised that they're not making that connection. They they, they did uh, the first time he showed up. They mentioned it. Was it oh last week or uh, this week? Yeah, last week on Nitro, they said that mm. he was wearing black and white, and that those were the NWO's colors. Somebody pointed it out at least once. Okay. It has not been made like they haven't made a ton of hay out of it, but it, it was mentioned. Okay. Fair enough. Well, here to call all the action is our own touring television champion himself, Lord David Amantorp. Okay, and this is uh this is also the first appearance of WCW television champion Lord Steven Regal since he won the title on August twentieth. Wow. But and that was an episode, by the way, that aired on the thirty first. So still two months, but uh, I also appreciate the fact that Tony Giovanni made the same comment that he was gone and that they did use the the absence of touring overseas as the reason why he's not on TV, yep. which I, I don't know if it, his, the tour was entire two months, but I felt like that was a good enough reason and that was good that he at least pointed that out. Yeah, he's uh, he did some stuff, I think, in Germany for a while with like uh, Otto Vance and he's been in Japan. I think it's I think he's in a tag team tournament. Over there, okay. I forget who his uh, partner is, but I believe that it's still like ongoing. I think that even though he's here now, he may still need to go back to Japan for like a couple more tag team matches. Oh, okay. So the match starts out with the exchange of wrist locks, but almost immediately we're distracted by the NWO youth, those dastardly youths and their signs. Oh are no! And and it's one of those things where you can tell that Tony got the note because he notices six 
but you can't see six whatsoever. Yeah, he's well, he is sitting at ringside, so I guess he has a better vantage point than us. But yeah, he says that it looks like six is with him, and it's like, uh, if you say so, dude. <laughs> right. The action in the ring essentially stops as Six greets us to NWO Monday Nitro and boasts about the titles they lay claim to. Six then makes the plea to Sting to do the right thing and join the hottest thing going. Once he stops talking, the match pretty much resets and we get another exchange of wrist locks. Hoopintu gets upper hand and body slams Regal twice, the second time to properly position his lordship for the 450 splash. However, Regal moves out of the way, and after pumping his fist to the crowd in celebration of his in-ring prowess, quickly applies a Regal stretch, and just like that, we have a quick submission vit- victory. Yeah, that, uh, it was very short, but I, it looked good while it was going, I mm-hmm. thought. I mean, it's like, it's a three, it's about a three-minute match, and there's at least 30 seconds that are dedicated to six, so you, you miss... The majority of the three ring, the three minute in ring actions. So, right. Um, also, right after the submission victory, they have a shot of Sting at that moment, and I appreciate that because it reminded me of the fact that the, that those two had a feud just a few months ago. That's right. Hoovy and Regal were apparently very unhappy about all the distractions taking away from their already short TV time, as you <laughs> imagine they might be. Who would blame them? <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, and I can understand if they're like. No one's paying attention to us. Why Why would we even? Right. And plus, the whole idea that WCW is against NWO, if NWO is bothering them, get bothered by it. You know, right. stop and point and challenge them and do everything you want to. Uh, I like they showed Sting brooding again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Larry, <laughs> Larry thinks a good idea to uh, refer to the franchise of WCW is to say how pathetic looking he is. <laughs> he's like, look at, I, and I think, I think he's using pathetic more in the classic sense of like sad. Yeah. But Tony's just like, no, no, it's actually frightening is what he, <laughs> he says. Actually frightening, <laughs> which also sounds ridiculous. Like you're scared of Sting sitting up there in some makeup. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a little ridiculous. Tony then leaves the side of the ring to interview Regal. We see replays and we go to ringside where Tony is going to speak to him. And by the way, that um, Larry Zabisco says that uh, Tony has the unpleasure yes. of talking to Lord Stephen Regal, which I'm like, I'm not sure if that's a word or not. Unple- it's not. Yeah, okay. Displeasure would okay. be what he is looking for. Yeah. <laughs> which I would have let slide, except he really emphasized that word. He felt like he was being clever. Uh, so Tony's at ringside tells us that uh, actually Regal just went to the back. <laughs> he's like live television here, folks. He's like fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it, he's mad or he just forgot or what happens, but he's supposed to go to ringside for an interview and he doesn't. And by the time they figure it out, I guess it's too late. So Tony just kind of vamps for a second. But then didn't they also like take a commercial break too? Like I think there, there I, was a there was a delay before he supposedly was going to do this interview, and I'm I'm sure he was just like. Didn't realize it. Well, they did the... So they had the replays, and yeah, Regal must have... Like, I don't understand how... It does seem like during the replays, he could have made it to somebody who would have, like, pointed him back. Because they (laughs) do the whole replays, and then Tony's like, uh, I don't know where he went. Yeah. And then instead, Tony just says, like, well, Sting's in the building, and anyone, you know, that didn't know that already, because he's he was up in the rafters, I don't think most of the crowd could see him. Yeah. Uh, they cheer just hearing that, oh, Sting is here, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, yeah, Tony, without anything else to do, I'm sure it was the plan after Regal's promo, he sends it to commercial. Because there's just, what else are we going to do? <laughs> right. As we go to commercial, Larry says that Regal must have seen him sitting at ringside and chickened out. <laughs> oh, seen Larry? Yeah. 
Oh, because he had because he's Superman. Yeah, well, and he's Larry Zabisco. He's the <laughs> right. toughest, best, most smartest guy on the whole roster. <laughs> he is the most smartest, and he has the most hair. <laughs> we go to commercial, and what the big boys wear this week are Nitro T-shirts that are modeled by Meng and the Barbarian. Uh, they just yell in Tongan, and captions explain stuff like that. They're saying that the shirts are one hundred percent cotton. And one size fits all. And there are like a couple words that don't translate, so they just say them in English, like one size or something like that. Mm. Um, and it was like, oh, they are really saying the things. I I just figured they would just yell things to amuse themselves. Right. And then the captions would claim it was 100% cotton. But yeah. a few times you hear like cotton and you're like, oh, okay, they are really selling these shirts. <laughs> I'm surprised. I If it were me, I would just be entertaining myself by saying swear words. Right. I do. I, I. I. think kudos to whoever said like, "Why don't you just say in Tongan?" Because why the fuck not? Yeah, I. I think it's acknowledged that they speak English and just choose not to. But it is very funny that they just right. never do, especially Meng. So before the commercial, Tony says that when we come back, maybe we'll we'll try to have some words with Steve Regal. Mm. But when we come back to the arena, that still does not happen. <laughs> Regal, I don't know if he's being punished now or if he does not want to take part in an interview or what. Uh, but instead, we get some stills of Arn Anderson and Lex Luger's match from last night. We're assured that Arn Anderson's injury is not too serious, and he'll be back soon. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, I just want, I'm saying it now because I want to make sure that I remember to make the connection. They make sure at the beginning of the show to tell us that the injury is not serious with Arn Anderson. Later, when Bobby Heenan's talking about it, he's like, His arm wasn't moving! I never saw his hand twitch! I think he's paralyzed! And it's like, you already told us that he's okay! <laughs> Right, I was about to say, I was like, I feel like the story changes in an hour or so. It definitely does. Uh, just it's, as like, it's like he had a turn for the worse <laughs> in the hospital, and they found out about that. Diamond Dallas Page's music plays, and Tony tells us about Eddie Guerrero's broken ribs suffered in his match against Page last night. Larry again does his thing about how DDP keeps beating Guerrero's constantly, just all these imaginary Guerrero's that they have. Right. Now, he... I will say there's a possibility that DDP beat Hector Guerrero on one of the syndicated shows because I think Hector has a match that we're going to see in the next few weeks. It's next week. Okay. Yep. So <laughs> it is possible that he's actually been here for a little while. So there's three Guerreros instead of two, which is kind of a lot if you're going to keep beating guys from one family. I, Pat, you know, Occam's Razor says that uh, Larry Zabisco is just making shit up. Now, when you say that, do you mean Occam and Razor? <laughs> Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Tony makes his claim that Nick Patrick was hanging on to the Battle Bowl ring all along, as we talked about in our last episode. Later tonight, Tony is going to talk to Nick Patrick and Patrick's attorney because Patrick's situation with WCW is on the edge right now. Paige's opponent tonight is Mean Mike Penis, who does who is Mean Mike Penis, who is all the way to the ring before anyone mentions him at all, which is a common thing. I think that happened in the match where he was... Uh, interrupted by scott hall i think that like that match had started before they even said who he was oh, right that yeah. was his nitro debut yeah after the bell page fakes locking up and instead wiggles his fingers at penis penis dares page to hit him and page slaps him in return they lock up and jostle a bit before winding up in a corner they break clean but then page tries to sucker punch but enos ducks penis punches page a few times <laughs> That's that's a good tongue twister. <laughs> Penis punches Paige, <laughs> then clotheslines them both out of the ring. Enos is doing little things to fire up the crowd. Apparently, he's just working like straight babyface in this one, which is 
that's a weird position for him. He's not a naturally likable guy. Right. I don't think the Beverly brothers were certainly ever baby faces. Mm-hmm. But, we, I mean, we know WCW booking. It'll just be like, <laughs> you guys, you, two heels go in there. Yeah. Probably don't have any notes as far as, like, who should be the face. Yeah. You know, but. I think just the most over guy gets to keep whatever he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like, okay, Enos, no one cares what's happening with you. So you're just a baby face now. Right. The same thing happens later tonight with high voltage. They're just, I think the last time we saw them were their heels. And tonight they're white meat baby faces. <laughs> Paige fights back with kicks, then sends Penis into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Paige catches Penis going for a back body drop and hits either Rough or Ready with a sit-out powerbomb for two. <laughs> I don't know that those <laughs> were ever really determined. I love how, Paige's sit-out powerbomb, though. It's it's his, it is, it's it's his really best-looking move uh, outside of the cutter, I think. And not only that, but he can hit it on anyone, too. Like, yeah. He's got the strength to do it to anyone. Paige maintains control and hits a top-rope clothesline. The Outsiders are now in the crowd celebrating with their belts. Paige tries for a cutter, but Enos pushes him into the turnbuckles chest first. Deep, he bounces out of the corner and right into an overhead belly-to-belly that gets Penis a two-count. Penis hits a sick neckbreaker and a very high standing leg drop. And uh, I just have my notes here. Mike Penis fucking rules. <laughs> like, I, w- I wasn't really paying attention to this. <laughs> he hits some... He... I we've noted that before. He hits a great like fall away slam. Mm-hmm. He can just hit power moves really well. And when he did a standing guillotine leg drop, like he got serious air in it. And um, I'm just like, man, this guy is probably one of the more underrated in ring workers in WCW right now. Yeah, and I remember that his match. I don't remember who it was, but his match that got interrupted by Scott Hall. I remember Steve Dahl. Yeah, it was a lot better than I remembered it to yeah. be. Yeah, so. Like, he could be in there with Scott Norton just throwing each other around. Scott Steiner. Like, he doesn't have to win those matches because I get that Mm -hmm. the character is not that exciting. Yeah. But I want to see more of him for sure. And and more of him where he's not a member of Rough and Ready. Yes. And maybe where you change his last name so I don't feel tempted to say penis every time. Right. (laughs) Just give him something like butts or something. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Mike butts. Enos gets on the rope and challenges Hall and Ash to come down to the ring, which they do not. I was about to say, when you mentioned earlier about um, Regal and Juventud being upset. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's right, because Enos, like, stops his match pretty much and challenges them. I wonder if that's kind of like everyone's just getting pissed about it. Well, it's a smart move by him because at least he doesn't look weak. Yeah. Like, he looks, he even though they're not coming down or getting involved with him at all, he's putting himself he's inching himself closer to being on their level. Like, yeah. I'm not afraid of you. Just come right down here and fight me. And, and plus, he's like, I know they're not going to come down. Right. So I can challenge them all I want to. Exactly. He knows they're <laughs> going to beg off, which is fine because they should look like cowardly heels and he can look like a, I guess, baby face. Uh, tough, tough penis. <laughs> Real tough penis. <laughs> penis drops Paige throat first onto the ropes, then hits a big clothesline and power slam. Penis signals for... Whatever his finisher is. I Penis driver. <laughs> I really don't know what his finisher is. <laughs> right. It appears to be a running uh, power slam, like a Braun Strowman or a British Bulldog style running power slam. I could buy that. Because he puts Paige up on the one shoulder like he's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Then he backs near a corner to give himself room for a big running head start. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, guys. Uh, but backing himself into the corner gives the wily Paige the opportunity to wrap his ankles around the ropes to stop Enos from running forward. Enos starts to walk forward, uh, but stops, is confused, and Paige manages to get down to his feet 
but now he has penis in the same position as a reverse DDT. Uh-oh. Because he's been on his shoulders, he slides behind him, but keeps his arm around his neck, so now he's in, like, scorpion death drop position. I know where this is headed. Page instead spins his body around, and now he is perfectly aligned for the diamond cutter, which he hits to cheers from the crowd and the victory. The NWO looked downright happy, and Tony speculates that perhaps the NWO are cheering for Page. Which is obvious when uh, when Kevin Nash does the diamond cutter sign. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of they kind of make their indications known. Yeah, there. well, uh, there's certainly for anyone with a long memory, they remember that uh, there was some of uh, the diamond stud was a part of Page's stable long, long ago. So there's some history between those two guys. And so you think this is like a really long term reference they're making here? Or? I don't know if it's a reference, but I think like it's something that it, even if the company's not putting that dot together, a fan mm. still could. And it makes sense. Yeah. Larry admits that Paige would not at all be a bad choice for the NWO to recruit. Paige gives himself a self high five and we go to replays. Uh, Dave, sounds like you didn't pay attention, you jerk you, but I <laughs> liked this match quite a lot. Uh, for just a TV match, I thought it was really good. I thought both guys looked good. Mm-hmm. Paige, uh, I always love that he, his character is like, I'm a wily veteran, even though he started wrestling like later than almost everybody that he actually wrestles. Yeah. Uh, but it just works so well. It just, I love this guy. Use He can hit some big moves. They they take advantage of the fact that he's a huge guy. Mm-hmm. I remember meeting him at StarCast and thinking like, wow, he is just a lot bigger than I realized. Right. Um, so they take advantage of that with the big moves like the sit-out powerbomb. But his character is more using his head, wrapping those uh, ankles around the ropes to stop the power slam. And, of course, that makes no sense. If a guy started running forward, you don't have the ankle strength to, to keep wrapped up around the rope. Right. But it makes wrestling sense. It yes. makes perfect sense in a wrestling That's match. That's true. Very true. And uh, I just loved it. I thought the finish was clever. A great. I, I would love to know who is helping Paige, and maybe no one, maybe it's just him, Who is? but who all comes up with these finishes mm-hmm. where he's hitting this out of nowhere in all these clever ways uh, because it's like the highlight of every match is seeing how is he going to slap it on this time. Yeah. And and he, and you've also mentioned as far as like, uh, I think for Mike Enos, like his second rope, did he do the second rope fall away slam? Did he Not mention? in this match, no. Oh no, that one's pretty. That's pretty sweet. That's a that's yes. a really legit move. And also, I just like the idea that um, he's doing the fall away slam when Scott Hall is watching as well. <laughs> yeah, that's he true. Doesn't care. It's his move too. We go to commercial with the promise of our new cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko coming up after the break. When we come back live on TNT, Tony puts over the match last night between Ray and Dean, and we see some stills of said match. Uh, the highlight is when Tony says there were high-flying moves and high-risk maneuvers. <laughs> <laughs> He's going for one of those maneuvers. He corrects himself and says uh, uh, maneuvers, but I wish he'd left it. I would, <laughs> high-risk moves and high-flying maneuvers. That's that. Dusty's going to take that at some point. <laughs> Out comes Jim Powers along with Teddy Long. Tony hypes Piper's appearance from last night, still to come later on tonight's show. Dean Malenko's out next. We see the Phoenix Sun star AC Green, who is in the crowd wearing an NWO shirt. This is a return to Nitro for AC Green, who was also shown in the crowd in the December 4th Nitro last year, which was held in the same arena. Hmm. That was the same show that you may remember featured Charles Barkley coming out with Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently, this is uh, AC Green is a legitimate huge wrestling fan. You can actually see him in the crowd at some Lucha Underground shows. Uh, but this is also done to promote the NBA season, which starts in four days mm-hmm. on Friday when the Phoenix Suns take on the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Larry is mad that Green is wearing an NWO shirt. And it actually becomes funny because, like, during the night, Green will argue with some heels like Nick Patrick, but he he loves the NWO. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't... And he really gets into it with Sister Sherry as well. Yes. I think he probably is a fan, but maybe not enough of a fan to realize that Patrick is with the NWO. He probably just likes it that anyone's, like, reacting That's to That's true. It's probably a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here to call all the cruiserweight action is our own man of a thousand colds. <laughs> And Manoves. <laughs> Dave Amantorp. <laughs> well, initially I said that there was no goddamn way that Jim Powers is light enough to be a cruiserweight contender. Yeah, no kidding. However, when they're in the ring, then it's like it's not as much out of uh, out of uh, out of line. Although when I looked it up, they say Jim Powers was around 250 pounds. Sure. And that seems pretty high for a cruiserweight. But either way, it was like, well, I think we all know who's going to win this match. So it really doesn't matter either way. Right. Complain. Is it I is it for the title? Yes. Oh, that is stupid. I was yep. I was wondering and I didn't quite pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah, so I I I didn't remember that thing about AC Green, so I did make some notes about AC Green. Oh, well, go ahead. Um AC Green, he he um he made like one all-star team. He was not he was a good player, wasn't a great player. Yeah. Um but he was in at this point it was in the midst of a streak of playing in 1,192 straight games. Oh, wow. Which is, nice. a, which is a record. Huh. Um, in fact, he will be traded to the Dallas Mavericks during this season, and so he'll end up having an 83-game regular season in 1996. Ah. Um, he is also known for being deeply religious and claiming to have retired from the NBA as a virgin, which I have no reason to doubt that, but you can't really prove it either way, so I'm going to allow this. He, he's probably one of the few people, uh, maybe not where that's not necessarily... There's probably other people where that's true. Mm-hmm. He's probably the first per- person to broadcast that fact. Yes. <laughs> he was also known for broadcasting that fact as well because yeah. his teammates were known to be sending uh, women of ill repute to his uh, his room in attempts, like ways to like attempt him to, to break his vows or whatever. Who was the player who would like... Uh, I forget if it was him and his wife or just his wife that would follow the team bus in their own car. I don't know. Uh, God, it was like a player whose wife was just obsessed with stopping him from cheating. Okay. And so he was like the way that they figured the best to do that was they just had to spend every moment together. It was (laughs) not like let's build a relationship of trust in which I know that you won't cheat on me because it was like you cannot possibly not cheat on me unless my eyes are on your dick at every <laughs> moment of the day. Um, I also wanted to point out that in that the game that you're talking about, I'm, it's going to be this upcoming Friday uh, in 1996 for against the Lakers, will feature the debut of a rookie by the name of Steve Nash. Ah, nice. Anyway, we're on with the show, and at this point I remember that I messaged you because holy Jesus fuck, Nick Patrick is still out there officiating. Yeah. And that is just beyond the realm for me as far as. <laughs> well, be- I mean, before it was ridiculous as it was, but now he has clearly, clearly helped the NWO retain right. the World Heavyweight Championship, and they can't even pretend to ban him for a day. Yeah. Or this idea that they have this interview with him and his attorney, like that couldn't come first. It's just, it's just so ridiculous. And, yeah. And it's just. But I feel like we've gone months with it being ridiculous, and it's just to the point where it's like, just got to move on. The angle's stupid, and we'll be never-ending. Doug Christie, by the way. Oh, 
<laughs> Doug was, Christie. It okay. was Doug Christie's wife was the one who was not very trusting. <laughs> and I made a note in regards to AC Greenwear's NWO shirt. Tony says, well, you take away Charles Barkley away from him. And I guess that's just what happens because Charles Barkley was traded uh, before the season. Started. Right. Although with those stories of uh, uh, people, teammates sending women to AC Green in an attempt to break his uh, vow of celibacy, you just know that Charles Barkley was one of them. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's... Hey. <laughs> hey, that girl nice. Hey. <laughs> I did not... <laughs> You've never heard my Charles Barkley? <laughs> no. My world famous <laughs> Charles Barkley? No. Now I need to hear like every <laughs> Dave... While we're still on the subject of the NBA, uh, can I yes. read for you this quote from Doug Christie's wife? <laughs> Only if you're due as Charles Barkley. <laughs> no. This okay. Is, this is good enough on an episode. Okay. This is her explaining one of the ways that she sees if he's cheating on her. Okay. Uh, she does what she calls a ball status check. Uh-huh. <laughs> that seems pretty Now, this obvious. is a quote. Balls have a certain amount of weight. Mm-hmm. Usually, they're full. If they've been emptied, that's usually after intercourse or sex. (laughs) Then they're kind of smaller and they're emptier and they kind of shrivel up and they're little. That's what I was talking about when I was explaining to Shawnee. That's her friend. All you have to do is just look. If it's emptier and they're little and they shrivel up, then they've been emptied somewhere. (laughs) God. So either he satisfied himself, that's A, or B, someone satisfied him and somebody got some explaining to do. Oh, that's a, that's one of those things where it's like just a little bit of information yeah. is a dangerous thing. That's the hardcore wrestling analysis that people come to this show for. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like that's along the lines of that, like the pee is stored in the balls meme. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is barely more intelligent than that. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> uh, please go on with your match. <laughs> so, But there is a match that happens here. Yes. Dean Malenko is being ignored for these ridiculous side conversations. <laughs> um, but that's fair because the first minute is pretty much just powers grinding away on a headlock. Yeah. As Nick Patrick and Teddy Long engage in their tired old antics. Malenko escapes, but powers is still in the driver's seat, hitting a hip toss and a body slam before the champion takes a powder. We cut to the entrance and we see psychosis in street clothes, but also with a mask watching the match intently. Back in the ring, and Malenko gains the advantage, eventually driving his opponent to the mat before applying a reverse chin lock. Jim Powers rallies back, nailing an atomic drop. There's kind of a cool moment where he slams Malenko's head into the corner nine times before finishing at the opposite corner, which kudos to Malenko for going along with that. A follow-up clothesline gets him a two-count. Powers hits a spinning slam, but Patrick is too busy arguing with Teddy Long to make the count. Oh, no. And Teddy Long is doing nothing. Like, right. He's, this is ridiculous. It, it's it's one of those things where Patrick is like, I'm close enough to him, so I'll start shouting at him. Yeah. And then it'll be very conveniently not helping out his, his wrestler. And, of course, what happens next is that uh, Powers goes over to talk to Patrick for not doing the count, and Malenko capitalizes with a quick rope from behind for the pinfall victory. So now Malenko is another talented wrestler of this game wrapped up in this ridiculous Teddy Long, Nick Patrick nonsense. Now, I thought the match was fine. Here's my major issue with it. 
and I know that none of this matters. Okay. <laughs> none of it matters. None of this matters. But I don't like Jim Powers, a complete jobber who is not really part of the cruiserweight division. Yeah. Getting a visual pinfall on the brand new champion. Yes. The brand new champion. Right. He's not going to have a pay-per-view cruiserweight title match against Malenko at the pay-per-view. Uh-huh. Like, this is a filler match to do more... Teddy Long shenanigans. Mm-hmm. There's no reason a that Malenko needs to be the one in this match at all. But if he is fine, don't don't but don't make a complete jobber look like he could beat him if everything was like fair and square. Right. Dumb. I did not care for that at all. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about things that don't matter. But it's like Jim Powers is clearly not the weight to be a cruiserweight, let yes. alone get a cruiserweight title shot. Yeah. So everything about this is just like. It's just a setup so we can continue on the Teddy Long versus Nick Patrick thing. And they could have picked any number of guys besides having Dean Malenko get into this. Right. After the match, Teddy Long has some words with Nick Patrick. They argue back and forth until we go to the replays. And then, a commercial. <laughs> when we return, we see stills from the Horsemen versus the Faces of Fear, plus the aftermath where Kevin Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom attack the Horsemen. We still don't get any clarification from the announcers that Sullivan and Woman are married. Tony only says that there's something below the surface with those two, and that the announcers are just not sure what it is. Ricky Morton comes out to face Jeff Jarrett. What? Yeah, this is some (laughs) old-timey southern wrestling we're about to see. Right. Uh, Why Jarrett, a top new babyface star, should be wrestling an old fat babyface on Nitro. (laughs) No offense to Ricky Morton, who is a legend in his own time, but... But he's this a, is not the time. He's also a fat old baby face. <laughs> I I don't get it at all. Uh, it's completely beyond me, and that's why I made Dave call this match. Well, I made the note where I feel like the the WCW uh, executive committee was like Jeff Jarrett needs a bit of a break from all the giant killing he's been doing over yes. the last week yeah. or so. <laughs> well, they they were starting to call him the giant killer, <laughs> right? Yeah. As he's well known. Yeah, he beat two and purposely got himself DQ'd against the third one. <laughs> right. Okay, so we got some quick back-and-forth action between the two men, culminating in Jarrett hitting a drop toehold, which set him up to walk across Morton's back. You can tell from the very beginning that Jarrett is still on on the uh, heel antics. Yeah. Which, now it's at the point where I'm like, I don't know if that's correct or not because he's with the horseman, but he's also trying to be, like, the, a leader in WCW. So he's, like, yeah. he's, he's basically a tweener now. But my, he only yeah. he only knows to, how to do heel tant, ha, heel antics. Yeah, my reading when that happened, the walking on the back specifically. There's other little things that he does in the match too. Yeah. Uh, but my reading on that was like, oh, they did put him against a baby face on purpose. Like they are starting, I think. And I'm not. I kind of know where his character goes a little bit for the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they're setting up that he is going to be a little, not a full heel. Yeah, but a little more heelish, um, and I—I ba- I mean, largely he's a low rent Ric Flair. They're like, Flair does all these things. He's with the Horsemen. He cheats, and people love him. Yeah. So like, we're they, just gonna have Jeff Jarrett do that and ignore the fact that like, there is <laughs> so much difference in the charisma levels, right? And the goodwill that Flair has bought from the audience from doing this for like twenty-five years already, right? That Jeff Jarrett, God bless him, at at least at this point in his career, he has not earned that same level of yes. yeah. of um, adoration. He can't be a dickbag walking on someone's back and then strutting mm-hmm. and get cheered for it. That's not who Jeff Jarrett is. I and I feel like 
we're starting to get these reactions where the fans are like, they don't know how to react to him anymore. Yes, I agree. Um, so Ricky recovers quickly and hits an arm drag and knee drop to the arm, which sends Double J reeling into the corner in pain. Meanwhile, Larry says Jarrett is in for a tough challenge because although Ricky Morton isn't a giant, he, quote, moves like one, <laughs> which, which does not make sense. Yeah. And if it did, it's not giving Ricky Morton any favors. Moving like a giant is not a compliment. Morton applies another arm bar, one that Jarrett has quite the trouble escaping. He eventually picks Ricky up and drops him neck first onto the ropes, and that gets him to release a hold. Jarrett then reminds him that inside of his skull, he has brains. Jeff hits a vertical suplex, one that almost is a disaster because I think he wanted to kind of hold him up for a while, but it immediately kind of collapsed. And he settles and he settles in on the offense, choking Morton on the middle ropes and slamming him into the corner. Jarrett slams Morton to the mat and hits a cross body block from the top rope. But Ricky manages to use the momentum for a pin attempt himself. However, Double J kicks out. Jarrett hits a swing and neckbreaker off the ropes, but Moore encounters his subsequent figure four attempt into a small package for another two count. Jarrett then hits a knee breaker and this time is able to apply the figure four to get the submission victory. So it's kind of a weird story they're playing towards the end here about Ricky Morton perhaps getting like the upset victory. Yeah. And I'm not really sure how this really helps Jeff Jarrett at all. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, a lot of the way that this match happened in the first place and then the way that it unfolded didn't make sense to me. Right. The action was good. I actually yeah. was surprised at how well wrestled I thought the match was. Perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, so I thought it was a good match, but I was, yeah, I was just like, why? Yeah. Why is this the way that this is happening? Pretty much since we've been doing the Monday Nitros, there's has been a big habit of no matter who you're facing, the other guy is going to get a lot of offense in. Yeah. They've always allowed like equal amount of offense, even if it's, if it is like a match where it's like Jarrett should just wipe the floor with Ricky Morton, you know, Ricky Morton by himself should not be able to beat Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. So I, I just I don't understand. I mean, this is like Jeff Jarrett does get a victory on Nitro, but it's difficult against a tag an older tag team wrestler. Yeah. Like that I don't know how this helps him out at all. The bell rings and we don't get very much time for Jarrett's victory to sink in before we see the giant walk out amongst the crowd and he has a live mic. Let me tell you, I could huff, I could puff, and I could blow nitro down but i'm not going to i'm gonna lay out a few simple facts you think that you're the new member of the horsemen they brought you in they say they passed you the torch from rick flair they didn't pass you a torch they passed you a wet match last night brother you know the deal I had you in the choke slam. Ric Flair saved you. It's not gonna happen anymore. Horsemen, you're all pathetic, each and every one of you. You band together like a pack of rats. You think you're so bad. You're not bad, you're afraid. Each and every one of you are afraid. You fight scared, you walk scared, and you are scared. Yeah, you got out of the choke slam last night, but your day is coming. Someday, 
somewhere, my hand's gonna wrap around your throat. I'm gonna squeeze. I'm gonna lift you over my head. And bam! That's the end of Jeff Jarrett. And Horseman, you get in my way one more time, I will take you out systematically like the lean, mean fighting machine that I am. When you go to bed tonight, check the closet, look under the bed, and say your prayers. Because believe me, you, there is a monster behind your back. All right, Jeff Jarrett, those threatening words from the Giant. I want to talk a little bit about what happened last night. Was Before a we get into that, actions speak louder than words. If the Giant wants to get the job done right now, tell him to come on down in the ring right now and we'll finish it. Yeah, how about that? And I think he has gone, as a matter of fact. Well, that typical NWO. Big night for you last night. Not only did you take the fight right to the Giant, the Horseman got behind you. A show of force. As a result, you escorted Arn Anderson along with Ric Flair to the hospital. Had a little payback to the horseman. It was quite a night for you, Larry. It was a big night. I said I was going to have it to style and profile, strut my stuff, holla Ric Flair, and I did that. I said that the giant would not chokeslam me, and he certainly didn't do it. Everything I've said I'm going to do when I got to WCW, I've done. Uh -uh. Don't wind me up. I got something to say. I've got one challenge and a big, bold statement to say to you, Hulk Hogan and NWO. You will go down. The walls will, will crumble. But, Tony, one thing has to happen for that, for the walls to crumble, and that is WCW has got to unite. You know, when I got here, I didn't realize there was going to be a bunch of different groups and factions and cliques. You've got the uh, Dungeon of Doom jumping Benoit McMichael. you got Luger trying to permanently disable Arn Anderson. Then you got Sting. For weeks, you guys have been begging him to be the leader. Sting, if you don't want a leader, want to be the leader, I damn sure do. Me and Fl Ric Flair will unite WCW. Then you got Piper. He's out here and he says, oh, when he was 15 years old, Hogan was playing bass, he was wrestling. Well, I was born into the wrestling world. I got three generations in my family who've had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That's right, in this sport. So I've got more to lose than anybody. So Hogan, you will go down. That's a promise, that ain't no threat. Just like all these other powder puff organizations, one by one they've gone down. WCW's been around since 1905, and they're gonna remain a long, long time. All right, Jeff Jarrett here on Nitro, and we'll have more on TNT Live after this timeout. The Giant says that he could huff and puff and blow Nitro down, but he's not going to. That's nice. Instead, That's he, <laughs> instead he's going to lay out some facts. First is that Jeff Jarrett thinks he's part of the Horsemen, and he has been handed Flair's torch. But in actuality, they just gave him a wet match. Oh, that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, he had Jeff Jarrett ready for a choke slam, but Flair saved him. He calls the Horsemen pathetic for banding together like a pack of rats. Um, yeah, I mean, he's right, but he's also a hypocrite. <laughs> right. Being in the NWO. <laughs> I was thinking about the hypocrite yeah. thing. <laughs> he, uh, he says they're all afraid. He says they're all afraid who fight scared, walk scared, and are scared. He said Jeff Jarrett's day is coming, and he'll feel the giant's hand around his throat, and then bam, 
that'll be the end of one Jeff Jarrett. Bam! (laughs) (laughs) If the horsemen get in his way again, he's going to take them out systematically. He then advises the horsemen to beware a monster when they go to bed tonight, because there is one behind their back. (gasps) Behind Uh, their back when they're in in bed? uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's under the bed. Well, unless you sleep on your tummy, I guess. (laughs) On your side. He's spooning with you. Arn Anderson, do you sleep on your (laughs) (laughs) tum-tum? I thought on the scale of previous giant promos that yes. this was really good yes for where he's been at in the past i think now that it's almost like the huff and puff line was like him saying like yeah i used to do that kind of goofy stuff in my promos but now mm. i just get to talk like a human does yeah so i thought that it was a big improvement still not necessarily a great promo but yeah. great for the giant yeah when you when you when you put in that caveat that is like in comparison to other giant promos i'm a hundred percent behind you it could be the best promo he's had so far. I feel like there might be one or two that stuck out before this, but this was one where it was like he talked for like a few sentences, yeah, and they all made sense together. Right. Yes. It's 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 a small requirement for most guys, but for him, I'm like kudos. It looks like you're making progress. In a very nice production move, the camera then pulls back from the long zoom that they had on the giant, and then focuses on Tony and. Uh, Jarrett standing by the ring so it's just kind of cool like it, mm-hmm. it's on a tight shot on the giant pulls way back there they are by the ring very nice just a little touch Jeff Jarrett says that actions speak louder than words and if the giant is so tough he should come back down to the ring right now to finish things this is the same thing that Mike Enos did earlier <laughs> right. where it's like well I know he can't so I'm yeah. gonna look cool and tough yes yep <laughs> Jarrett basically says that he's as good as Ric Flair <laughs> that's oh. why he, he says something like Last night, I forget the way he phrased it, and it's funny because I always, I can't remember it, but the audience just heard it. So for them, they, it's fresh yeah. in their mind. <laughs> right. But yeah, he, he like conflates himself with Ric Flair completely mm. and says that the giant didn't chokeslam him, just like he promised the giant wouldn't. Jarrett stumbles over his words, saying that the walls will crumble around the NWO, but first WCW must unite their various factions, groups, and cliques. He talks about the horsemen in the Dungeon of Doom and their problems. He talks about Lex attacking Arn. And then he talks about Sting not being the leader that they need. I'm not sure if I'm Jeff Jarrett. I'm calling out Sting. <laughs> I'm like my third week in the company. Right. Not, that's probably not a comparison I want to draw people to. Uh, he then also talks about Piper and saying uh, he talks about like something Piper said in the promo last night about how when he was 15, he was fighting and Hogan was playing bass in a band or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, he, he basically his point is that when he was young, he was already in wrestling. He's a third generation wrestler. And thus, in his mind, he has more to lose than anyone else. Okay. The longer he goes, the more he's losing the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, they kind of were on his side at the beginning, but yeah. they're they're turning on him a little bit as it goes. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he says, the NWO will go down just like many other second-rate organizations, which I'm not... It seems like a shot at another promotion or something, but I can't think of who he's trying to insult. Smoky Mountain Wrestling? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's got ill feelings from against Cornette, who he was just working with over in in wwf i I don't know uh but he says not wcw which goes back to 1905 which uh dubious claim yes dubious at best (laughs) after a commercial high voltage enter the arena and they are high-fiving they are high-fiving on their way to the ring so i guess they're baby faces (laughs) right they don't even get to the ring before O Canada plays to bring out the amazing French Canadians. There is an air throughout, like, this is still the first hour, 
and all throughout the show it feels like they're like hurry up guys hurry up hurry yes, up yeah the giant started his promo like immediately after the Jarrett match mm. these guys don't even get to the ring before the next guy's entrance starts yeah the giant the giant starts talking and it sounds like he's almost announcing the winner yes yeah it's like right on top of things yeah this whole night they they were like oh shit we accidentally wrote eight extra pages of script and we can't edit them out <laughs> right it's too late guys <laughs> The Canadians come out waving the flags of Canada and Quebec. Jacques gets on the mic and tells the Coyote heads in the arena to be quiet so that they can sing the Canadian national anthem. Tony mentions, he's like, oh yeah, wasn't there a hockey team stolen something somewhere? He, he has no idea what's going on, but he kind of connects the Coyote heads thing. And uh, though he clearly doesn't know the specifics, he is right as the Winnipeg Jets of the NHL relocated in July of 1996 to become the Phoenix Coyotes. Now, it seems weird that the French Canadians would try to make fun of the locals when the locals were the one who stole the team. <laughs> it's like, haha, you jerks, you stole our hockey team. We'll show you. <laughs> uh, also, it's not really their hockey team as Winnipeg is in the Manitoba province, which is nowhere near Quebec. Like, it's not like they stole the Canadians from Montreal or something. Like, right. it, it's really something. It's like the flimsiest of pretenses to bring up, like, Local sports thing. Boomy. Yeah. Although maybe Jock was making fun of Phoenix because he knew that the Coyotes would not have the easiest go of things in Phoenix. Uh, you had the Wayne Gretzky years where he was not as successful as a head coach or a general manager as he had been as a player. Uh, you had the owner going bankrupt and the NHL taking ownership of the team in 2009. Uh, and the team's current day situation where they are one of the team's uh, many, many sports teams threatening to like just up and move if they don't get a stadium deal that uh, taxpayers pay for a mere five or so seconds into the uh, Canadian national anthem high voltage attacks and the bell rings uh, so because of the result of this match I don't have detailed notes I'm just going to run through the the brief highlights here sure at uh, the start of the match the dynamite countdown starts letting us know that we are one minute away from hour two oh, exciting uh, we we get the pyro and everything for hour two high voltage double back body drop uh, on on Oulette, and then they double clothesline Jacques Rougeau. High Voltage then whip the Canadians into each other. We, th <laughs> <laughs> we then reach hour two, and Eric welcomes us and introduces Bobby and mean Mike Tanay. Uh, you already have mean Mike Penis, who is, like, just on the show, so we need a new nickname for Tanay. Because well, that's what Eric calls him. Yeah, he's already Iron Mike Tanay, and I think that he just forgot. Eric says that Macho was supposed to be here tonight, but he's gone, and Eric doesn't know what his status is. All right. So I was right. No, you were wrong. You said they weren't going to mention him, I thought. No, that he wouldn't appear. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Eric says that Hogan prevailed in his own inimitable fashion. Ooh. Yeah, that's a nice word. I liked it. Mm -hmm. The amazing French Canadians double-team Kenny Chaos in a corner and then hang him on the ropes. Jacques slams PCO onto Kenny Chaos. A USA chant breaks out, so high voltage are at least over as Americans. <laughs> Hooray! Oulette bear hugs, uh, in a pretty cool move, Oulette bear hugs Chaos, and Rougeau comes off the top rope with like a seated senton. That was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I saw that. That one was definitely cool. They, they set up for the Quebecer crash, but over the guardrail come the Nasty Boys. The Nasties attack high voltage, and the Canadians just completely bail. 
Uh, which I think they did in another match where the NWO came down and they mm-hmm. like did not get in a fight at all. They're just gone. They just disappeared the second anything goes down. So the thing is, when I was looking at the like just the line by line results of this show, yeah. I saw that this match was a no contest. Yeah, and I assumed it was going to be the Outsiders. So imagine my disappointment when it was actually the Nasty Boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, spoiler alert, we do not see the Outsiders again. They came out, they looked at Diamond Dallas Page, and then they (laughs) fucked off to catering. They are done. They picked up their paychecks. (laughs) The Nasty Boys get their hands on a microphone, and let's hear what those nasty, nasty boys have to say. About a week or so ago, old Hollywood Hogan handed me a knobs, two t-shirts, and said, come on down the ring. And join the NWO. Said we all know what the story was in that picture. It was a big lie. A big Hollywood Hogan lie. What the NWO and Hollywood Hogan don't know is that me and Nobbs don't need to belong. We don't need to belong nowhere. There's some cat up here in the Raptors. He don't need to belong nowhere either. And I know Hot Rod Roddy Piper don't need to belong either. Hey, we may not be liked. We may not even be wanted. Got that right. But one thing we are is nasty. You can ask them two guys laying down there. We were nasty before the NWO was even a thought. We were nasty before the WCW was even a thought. Damn it, we were born nasty. So, my good friend, good buddy, Hulk Hollywood Hogan. Hey, it feels good with the night Sticking out of my back. So them two dirtballs, Hull and Nash, must have fogged up your brain a little. Let me tell you one thing for everybody. Like Michael Buffer would say, let's get ready to rumble. Jerry Sags recaps the time Hogan tricked them into thinking they were in the NWO. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is so funny to me. He recaps the time Hogan tricked them into thinking they were the NWO and then beat them up. <laughs> he just comes out and completely, uh, in the, the parlance of Twitter, self-owns. <laughs> he did. He definitely did. I was I was just going to make the point, and I, and I feel like anytime we hear the Nasty Boys, I always say this. Sags is far more competent on the microphone. So, of course, we always hear knobs more often. This one is a little bit better because we get a little bit more of Sags. So this is, I don't feel like this is a terrible just promo and delivery, yeah. but it is like the topic is embarrassing for them. Yes. Because they're just like, hey, we're still cool, guys. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> they should be talking about anything but that time that that happened right. to them. <laughs> God. <laughs> Sag says that all of that was one big Hollywood Hogan lie. But what the NWO and Hogan don't know is that he and Nobbs don't need to belong nowhere. 
it's always cool when you look like you desperately want to be part of a club and then right. they say you can't be and you're like, well, you're stupid and I don't want to be in. <laughs> you definitely, you were trying to entertain all of them in a hotel room by talking out of your ass like fucking Ace Ventura. Right. You desperately wanted their approval, you dumb shit. Yeah. You, it makes them look worse to say that they're like, <laughs> They're uh, they're not mad, and they're actually laughing. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're definitely not mad. <laughs> they're very, very not mad in yes. this promo. Yes, they are. Sags then compares the na- <laughs> the nasty boys to Sting and Roddy Piper, who also don't need to belong. <laughs> We're the same. It's very much <laughs> like Jarrett being like, I'm just like Ric Flair, everybody. Right. Please like me. <laughs> Nobbs then says that they may not be liked or even wanted, and Bischoff just totally buries them by saying, you got that right, (laughs) under his breath. Which I know he's (laughs) supposed to be in character, and he's like, these guys tried to sell out WCW, so naturally he would not like them. But I don't know, it just, like... Once they got kicked out of the NWO, it feels like the babyfaces should accept them in, or otherwise, like, they can't be over as heels or babyfaces. Right. Like, no one has any reason to like these guys. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but the one thing Nob says they are, uh, you want to guess what they are, Dave? The one thing that they are? <laughs> I don't want to. They're nasty. Ah! <laughs> they have a clamps uh, from Futurama-like focus on being <laughs> right. nasty. Ah, they're coming straight toward our proximity. Maybe you should give them the clamps, clamps. Gee. You think? You think that maybe I should use these clamps that I use every day at every opportunity? You're a freaking genius, you idiot! I was I was about to say that that uh, they don't want to be in the NWO's casino. They have their own <laughs> casino with blackjack and hookers. You think I should use these clamps? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like I hope there's an episode someday where somebody or someday where somebody asks them to be nasty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, can you can you nastify things a little bit? <laughs> oh, what? You want us, the nasty boys, to be nasty? That one thing that we talk about being all the time? <laughs> bada nist, bada nast. <laughs> Nob says they were nasty before the NWO was a thought, before WCW was even a thought, which is strange if that was before 1905. <laughs> they, they, they now have like, uh, so Jared thinks it started like 100 years ago. Yeah. And Nasty Boys are like, it's like 91, okay? <laughs> Damn it, Nob says they were born nasty. Nobs then tells his good buddy in his own words, but he's saying it sarcastically, like he's learned the error of thinking this way, oh. his good buddy Hulk Hogan, that he can feel the knife in his back. And he says that Hall and Nash must have fogged up Hogan's mind. And I had to rewind like three times to make sure he said fogged up. Fogged up? Yeah, he mind? says they fogged up. And I thought he said fucked. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> How is this on the network? <laughs> Those two must have fucked up your mind he even uh, <laughs> and you might have noticed in the audio clip he pauses as if he's like oh, did i just say it no i said the right that's okay yeah. we could go on yeah yeah that's cool uh they must have fogged up hogan's mind so in the words of his good friend michael buffer let's get ready to rumble i would have been shocked i would have been awesome if he said literally anything else besides that yeah yes <laughs> so my good friend michael buffer said you don't need friends who are rude to you. <laughs> right. That's my good friend Michael Buffer yeah. said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. 
<laughs> is that a quote from something? Or did yes. you just make that? Okay, what is that I, from? I think it's Anchorman. Okay. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Out comes Jimmy Graffiti, and apparently he's the first step on Rey Mysterio's attempt to climb back up the cruiserweight ladder. <laughs> Why is Jimmy Graffiti any wrong on this ladder? That's what I want to know. Eric has this thing, and this is where it starts. He's like defensive all night about the idea. He's like offended that some people have the idea that Piper and Hogan are going to have a match. He's like, oh yeah, he's trying to like yep. put that fire out all night. Where he's like, yeah, yeah, Roddy was on the pay per view, but before anyone makes any assumptions, Piper called us and asked us for five minutes of time on TV, and that's all that it was. Mm-hmm. And Tanae even like helps clarify like the reporter character that Tanae is. He's like, okay, so we don't have any further commitments with Piper, and Bischoff's like, no, we don't. That's it. Okay. All we were doing was giving him five minutes to confront Hogan after the main event on one of our biggest pay-per-views of the year. We definitely don't want anyone's money <laughs> by promoting a match between those two. No thank you. It, when I was hearing that, I was like, I wonder if he's already like regretting signing Piper. Like Piper's already making being a pain in the ass or something. Like I, that. I think it's just storyline. I think yeah. he, I think he's going with the idea that it's gonna like build anticipation or something, you know. Or this this whole thing where it's like, I can't just make Hogan be in a match. He has to, like, get goaded into it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got the graffitied one, mm-hmm. Jimmy Graffiti versus Rey Mysterio Jr., and here to call all the action is our own little vandal, Dave Amantorp. Okay. I really, just as a side note, I really like Jimmy Graffiti's shoes this time around. He has, like, these really intensely graffitied shoes. They're pretty sweet. Yeah. But that that's that's as far as I goes. really like. He really wants us to notice that his fingers have paint on them because that's a part of the character. So oh. he comes out and he's like rubbing his face for no reason and just like oh. doing the um the uh uh God you just talked about Anchorman. All I can think of is Ron Burgundy, Ricky Bobby, the Ricky Bobby yeah. hands just holding his hands up awkwardly so yeah. the camera can see them. <laughs> he's just like look at paint. That's because of the graffiti I was doing. <laughs> right. I'm with, Jimmy Graffiti. With paint. <laughs> I, I can't stop doing graffiti. Please, it's a compulsion. I <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I'm using my time on TV <laughs> to get assistance. The the paint contains carcinogens. <laughs> my wife begs me to stop. I'm a stockbroker during the day. <laughs> I need this third job to pay for chemo. <laughs> I guess the second job is doing graffiti. <laughs> right. The first is Todd Roger. Which he does get paid for, by the way. <laughs> That's freelance work. <laughs> in this economy? <laughs> I was in jail last week for vandalizing. That doesn't help anything. Please, Ray, help me. <laughs> Ray just dropkicks him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, whatever, Jimmy. I also like that. I don't know why. Why does it say extra large on his shirt? It just says XL on it. I don't know. I don't like. Is are we supposed to be impressed that he needs XL? Like he's a. I'm a big guy. Look, it's an extra large shirt. <laughs> yes, I, yes, that is why. That's that's now, now canon. Yep. Okay. Um. So Jimmy Graffiti attacks Ray before the bell rings, but Mysterio is quick to turn the tides, hitting a springboard backflip for two. Ray Huracaranas Graffiti out of the ring, and the two exchange moves on the floor culminating in Graffiti hitting a splash off the ring apron before returning their action to the ring. Graffiti then hits a leg drop and keeps a position for a two count. He then uh, slaps on a reverse chin lock in an attempt to keep his high-flying opponent grounded. Back on their feet, Mysterio hits a 
drop toe hold, then executes what Mike Tanay calls a jumping back drop kick. It was a kind of weird thing where he jumps up onto Graffiti's shoulders, then flips forward so he's in front of Graffiti, then back drop kicks him. It's like a lot of effort for a drop kick. Yeah. However, this keeps Graffiti stunned long enough for Mysterio to hit his springboard Huracarana for the pinfall victory. So we're getting we're getting a lot of matches, but we're getting a lot of short matches. Yes. And also another one where it's like it, I just don't I don't feel like this helps Mysterio very much either. You know, because it, it's like I feel like the idea is that we're we're going to get back to Mysterio versus Malenko again, but they're, yeah. they're not getting these like quality wins in which we feel like, well, I mean, they're 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 handling the rest of the division, so it has to come yeah. down to those two. So it's sort of a refrain that I've been saying, where uh, I agree with you that I don't think it necessarily helps anyone. The action itself was good, though. Yes, yep. um, I actually really liked that spot where he drop kicked him out of the air. I thought it just like really connected in a satisfying way. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. It's just yeah. it's a lot of effort for what ends up. Oh, being sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't yeah. disagree. I just thought it looked impressive. That's mm-hmm. all. Ray leans through the ropes and addresses Dean through the camera, telling the Iceman, and I swear, because I, like, triple-checked this, I hurt inside. Yes. Yeah, he did say that. I was so confused. Yeah. I was like, really? My son, bless his heart, he's six years old, he said he just couldn't accept that, like, a guy would say that. He's like, no, 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 he said I hurt inside, like Hercules. He's strong. (laughs) I was like, sure, buddy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He definitely said that. I hurt inside, and then he just says, I'm coming for the title. I guess he he hurts without his title, and mm-hmm. he's just, you know what? He's being a man. He's admitting that he's very sad without his <laughs> cruiserweight title. Or, I mean, I like to think that he's trying to tell him, it's like, yeah, this is damaging my psyche, so I am going Ooh. to be hellbent yeah. on coming back for it. Like, Yeah. There's that would have been more intimidating than just saying, I hurt inside. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> isn't he still just, like, 19 years old or something he's like that? He's not quite that young, but he's very young. Yeah. He looks like he's younger than 19 years yeah. old. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime, it, I mean, I'm not, not to be mean or anything like that, but anytime yeah. he's producing, like, uh, um, a promo or anything like that in English that yeah. makes sense to me, I'm like, Kudos. That's just bonus points right now. Well, he uh, he did go to school in America. Oh, he did? Yeah, he was born in California, then his family moved to Tijuana, but he still went to school in California the entire time. Okay. I just I felt like when he initially got here to WCW, they were given the impression that he, spo- he mostly spoke Spanish. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, either way, I'm just, for a, a young guy that's like, he's not, he wasn't hired for his promo work, when he puts out anything that, like, makes sense, I'm like, that's, that's bonus points. Sure. Eric talks about our next match, Benoit versus Guerrero, saying that he... God damn it. What? Just, Guerrero's ribs oh, are broken. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. They don't, give him, they don't give him one day off for that. Well, uh, to that end, Bischoff says that he's surprised the doctors are letting the match happen at all. <laughs> the doctor's like, no, no, we're <laughs> saying he shouldn't. <laughs> and, Check your voicemail. <laughs> and Eric Bischoff's like, what? I'm sorry, you're breaking up. What do you say? Yeah, I Hello? I can't hear you over all this cash counting. <laughs> all this sweet Eddie Guerrero money I'm making. Uh, this is where Bobby expresses concern for Arn Anderson, saying that after that torture rack, he looked paralyzed and wasn't moving an arm, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how yeah. they're like, well, even if they're, even if they're like, before Nitro, they try to get on the same page. Yeah. It's just Bobby Heenan to be like, this is what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> yep. I'm going to roll with it this way instead. 
Eric says that we don't know where Sting is at present, and Bobby just like starts looking up, searching the upper floors of the the arena. I thought that was like a funny touch. Yeah, like where we saw him just a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to look. We then go to commercial, and uh, during that, the NWO still wants you to buy a shirt, and now you can also buy an NWO hat for quote only fifteen bucks. Yeah, I thought that was, it was that kind of like stuck out to me because it was the NWO voiceover guy. Yeah, it was a friend of the show, Neil Pruitt. Yeah, uh, because I'm just I'm only used to him saying the the proceeding and the oh, following. Sure. So when yeah, I heard yeah. something different, I was like, oh hi, hello, <laughs> that's that's something new. I know you. Yeah. We then check in with Lee Marshall, who is doing one of his road reports from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the site of next week's Nitro. Lee. I- I just, I just want to say I really don't get the point of these things. I think the point is just to let you know if you live in Michigan, you should go buy tickets. That's yeah. that's 100%. They're just trying to sell tickets for All next right. week. Fair and enough. It's cute. It's I don't know why that's what I said. But. <laughs> it's cute. Lee hypes ticket buying and says that he has to run uh, as he's at a Halloween Nitro party and someone just showed up in a weasel costume. <laughs> I don't Something I would get behind yeah. is that he keeps having these like absurd like situations that he's in. Yes, that would be I would love that too. Yeah. We then see AC Green again, who is yelling with someone unseen and challenging them to come fight him and proclaiming himself part of the NWO. The camera cuts and we see the person he's arguing with is Nick Patrick, also a member of the NWO. Well, he's a I, secret member of the NWO. Right. And maybe he's like this will be the guy I'll keep the pers- the 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 um story going with. Eddie Guerrero comes out and gets some pyro. The next out is Chris Benoit, who comes out alongside Woman. Eddie's ribs are legit taped up, and Benoit also has tape on for a kayfabe injured shoulder. Okay. So Benoit is perfectly fine. Eddie is actually injured, um, but they're gonna have a match where they are both selling the entire time. Yes. We go to commercial, and when we come back, the match is about to begin, and Eric says that Hogan has demanded interview time later tonight to reply to Piper. Uh, just say no. It's very easy for you to do, but he has chosen not. I mean, I guess he is your champion, even if you don't like him. Yeah, he, yeah he's got like the leverage there as being champion. He also says the NWO want NWO Nitro now, and they are no longer satisfied with just NWO Saturday night. That was their way of saying, we don't want to do that NWO Saturday Night stuff anymore. <laughs> also, the NWO wants TBS to nominate them for a Cable Ace Award? Do sure. they think, like, Best Faction is a Cable Ace <laughs> category? Coolest dudes. What award specifically could you I don't even understand. There's, like, Best Show, I'm sure, but that wouldn't be NWO anything. <laughs> right. Eddie and Benoit briefly lock up, then break it off, and out comes Mongo and Deborah. Benoit is getting the better of Eddie in the ring, so Guerrero rolls to the outside to regroup. We get an inset promo then with the Taskmaster and Jimmy Hart. Hart says that Sullivan sent the Faces of Fear to destroy the Horsemen last night, and they did just that. Sullivan says that Benoit learned a valuable lesson. At the time of creation, they invented woman, and she was the ultimate destruction of us all. Sullivan then says it's, it's really hard to hear over the crowd noise, but he says that he has something and that he's going to keep a hold of it because he is the man. The announcers are completely baffled at these weird, subtle things where he's trying to plant about the whole woman's my wife, Benoit's trying to get her. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, it's not really working for me. I guess we'll see where it goes. It's obviously all t- kinds of uncomfortable uh, through a lens, you know, now to, but just yeah. it doesn't, the one thing that keeps it from being more 
uncomfortable is that like it's it makes no sense when like if you don't know what's going on this is just incomprehensible when you actually watch nitro and see the program as it as it goes on right they're gonna need to spell out things a lot more for anyone to get invested in the storyline yeah was that I, i feel like was that the whole kind of like the line that they would say back when woman like showed up was it the whole like the guy created woman like that was like probably the basis of her name. I, fe- I just feel like that sounds like a promo that they've done before. It, it would make sense given, especially given Sullivan's like love of biblical illusions and his past as like a satanic character. Yeah. It would make sense, but I don't know specifically if that's yeah. true or not. Meanwhile, in the ring, both Eddie and Benoit are selling pain from their injuries. They haven't done much. And when they do any kind of big move, they both writhe in pain. Mm-hmm. Benoit lays in with kicks of the ribs and then a big knee lift. Guerrero again heads to the outside. Benoit follows and keeps attacking the injured ribs before rolling Eddie back in. Bischoff wants an AC Green Mongo match as the two men have been jawing at ringside. Oh, God. He says something like, wouldn't that be something? The NBA versus the NFL on WCW on TBS? Like, he just keeps, like, doing letters. Now I'm not interested. (laughs) Initially I was, but then, nope, nope. Benoit whips Eddie chest first into the corner and throws Guerrero to the mat by his throat for two. Benoit then locks on an abdominal stretch. Patrick really sells his own neck during this abdominal stretch. Like, he makes a big go of it. So every, it just, it all just, three men... reminds ma- him. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. All three men in this uh, match are selling injuries, <laughs> right. uh, be they real or fake. Or, <laughs> or like... There's three stages here. We've got Eddie, who has real injuries. Mm-hmm. We have Benoit, who has kayfabe real injuries. Right. And we have Nick Patrick, who has kayfabe fake injuries. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is three distinct layers of <laughs> selling. That's interesting. <laughs> Eddie hip tosses his way out of the hold, but Benoit keeps at it with the kicks. Eddie gets a brief hope spot with a couple of chops, but Benoit cuts him off and locks in another rib-focused rest hold. Benoit misses an elbow charge in the corner, and Eddie hits some corner punches and a European uppercut. Woman distracts Patrick so that Mongo can come in, fake Eddie out like he's going to hit him in the head with the uh, briefcase, causing Eddie to raise his arms. Mongo then does what he really wanted, which is to hit him in the injured ribs with the Halliburton case, giving Benoit the 1-2-3 victory. A very brief moment of Mongo being clever, by the way. Yeah, Yes, true. Especially, uh, especially against a fake-out artist like Eddie Guerrero. Sure. This, uh, for what it was, which was two guys, like, selling injuries, I mm. thought it was very good. Yes. Uh, this isn't, like, classically what you would call a good match. Mm-hmm. But, like, in terms of what they were trying to accomplish, they accomplished it very well. And even Mongo came in and looked smart. And the shot to the ribs looked on, like, the slow motion replay. It looked totally safe. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, it was it was decent. It, was, it looked impactful. Uh, I thought this was good. This was a good segment. Yeah, from the moment the match started, I kept watching to see how often he would get hit in the ribs. Sure. Because I'm like, because I just feel like Benoit could be the kind of guy that just gets a little carried away. But um, it seems like um, it seems like they did a really good job of making it look like he's focusing on the ribs. Yeah. But also not like re-injuring them. So I yeah I thought that I thought. Considering they they're basically like these both these men are not at a hundred percent, so you're right. not going to get a hundred percent. But they both gave up, gave the most effort they could, 
it's like a sell-off between two fantastic sellers, like two yeah. historically great sellers. And then just reminding you of how bad Nick Patrick is at selling. <laughs> Which is fine, though, because his character is supposed to be a goofball who's selling a fake injury. So, yeah. like, it all works. It all yeah. it all works in concert with each other. After the match, Tony Schiavone is now standing by with Nick Patrick and his attorney, Alan Sharp. All right, Eric, thanks a lot. Nick Patrick is slowly making his way to us. And as you can see, we are joined by his attorney, Alan Sharp, and you know, Hold a lot of things. Hold it there, Brill Cream Boy, okay? If you have any questions for my client, you direct those through me before you, Mr. Shavoni, distort the truth. Let me tell you how it really is, okay? It's my turn to talk, okay? Too hard for you? Mr. Patrick, Mr. Nick Patrick, has been an honest, hardworking official and referee at World Championship Wrestling. This man has given his all to the professionalism of this great sport. Right. The other night, he was unfairly questioned in a highly controversial match between the macho man Randy Savage and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. All this controversy, it didn't have to happen. It really didn't because of one person one person, and we know who that is. It was Chris Jericho. Oh, give me Earlier a break. Earlier evening, Mr. Jericho, in a match, brutally and viciously attacked my client, further aggravating an injury that macho man Randy Savage had occurred and injured my client weeks earlier. Uh-oh. Chris Jericho is out here. Chris, you've heard what he just said. Listen up. Everybody here knows it. Everybody watching at home knows it. Nick Patrick, there is absolutely nothing wrong with your neck. Wait a minute. On top of that, everyone also knows that you are a 100% paid employee of the new world order. Mr. Jericho, do you have problems with anger? Have listen, you ever listen, you little fly by night? You stay out of this. This has nothing to do with you. Patrick, don't touch you him, he'll me sue you. Six in Las Vegas, and I will no, not no, no. forget it. I will not Mr. forget it. Take Mr. your hands off me. Did you ever have problems with playing with other children when you were young? Possible some professional counseling would be in order, Mr. Jericho. Wait a minute, Teddy Come on, Long is right. Teddy, Teddy what, what, what's going on here? I've got one thing to say, okay? Let me say one thing right now to you, Mr. Patrick's attorney. Now, where I'm from, they call people like you scam artists, okay? Now, if you didn't have a degree, you'd probably be standing on the corner with a squeegee in your hand, begging for quarters to wash windows. Now, let me let you know another thing, okay? Nick Patrick is sandbagging, and you know it as well as I know it. He's a young and upcoming star in WCW that Nick Patrick is trying to hold back. You know, I can't even believe, Mr. Long, that you even had the gall or the, even the guts to question me in front of millions right. of people all over the world. You know what that's called? Let me put it in language what, what that even you can understand. What is it called? It's called slander. Oh, kill me. Slander. Do you understand what slander means? Out of this. I smell lawsuits. I understand what slander means. And people wonder why your attorneys. Slander. 
Mr. Long, are so despised. You know There's not enough Perfect example. Not enough of them. Oh, no. It's an honorable profession. So I have three uncles. You're going to get bulk friction. Do you understand? We're going to get out of this, all right? This Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have more I on thought Nitro we were gonna after get this, this time out. Before Tony gets more than a few words out, Sharp, hamming it up in a big way, yeah, says holy that <laughs> shit. he is playing for the rafters. He says that any questions for his client must go through him because Shivani will otherwise distort the truth. Alan Sharp is, in actuality, public relations employee for WCW, Alan Sharp. Oh, clever. Yeah, so he's, uh, if you, like, Google his name in WCW, you find a bunch of incidents where, like, he was a spokesman who just was, like, you know, the news was doing a story and he gave the WCW statement. sure. Mm -hmm. So that's typically what he does, but here he is uh, uh, playing the mouthpiece. I don't think he's bad, necessarily, but, like, he is worse than Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick is a good promo. Mm-hmm. There's no need to give that guy a mouthpiece. He was doing fine. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for him being like like the doing like a manager thing would be yeah. a good promo. It's not a good promo for an attorney. That's probably true. He comes across very fake. Yeah, I mean, I it felt more like it's closer to like uh, Andy Kaufman being like, "I'm from Hollywood." <laughs> He's like, "I'm a." Big big time attorney, you shut your mouth with yeah. your lies. You, you should ask Shivani if he's from Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> right. Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> Sharp says that Mr. Nick Patrick is an honest and hardworking ref and has given his all for the professionalism of this sport. And the other night, he was unfairly questioned in a highly controversial match between Savage and Hogan. Sharp blames this all on Chris Jericho, for questioning and attacking Patrick earlier that evening, which apparently re-aggravated Patrick's neck injury. (laughs) This brings out huge nerd Chris Jericho, (laughs) who is wearing khakis and a tucked-in white polo shirt. Oh, he looks like such a (laughs) fucking dork. Jericho says that everyone knows there's nothing wrong with Patrick's neck, and everyone also knows that he's being paid by the NWO. Sharp asks Jericho if he has anger issues, but Jericho is having none of it. As Sharp berates Jericho, Teddy Long comes out and says that this lawyer is a scam artist, and if he didn't have a degree, he'd instead be begging for quarters to wash car windows. <laughs> I I like that part where he was like the anger issues, and Jericho's like, "I'm just, that's not a good way to go with this promo. <laughs> yeah, he, I'm just he he just cut it right. He no sells up. it. Yeah. yeah. Teddy Long calls Jericho a young and upcoming star. And that's kind of the problem with Jericho is when your gimmick is you're a young and upcoming star, it like never works. Like for <laughs> right. the fuck, it, it didn't work for The Rock. Yeah. Like that was if your sole gimmick is you're young and upcoming and will be great, that just it never yeah, pays off. You need something else. Right. It's like this guy has a huge ceiling. <laughs> like yes. he has a lot of potential. You should be really impressed with how he looks and wrestles. And no one wants that because I think if anything, it's just more like envy or anything. Like you don't, right. you don't want to cheer for like, yeah, I want this young guy to get all the success <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Long also says that Patrick is trying to hold Jericho back. Sharp is appalled by that claim and says <laughs> that this is slander. The segment just keeps going, but yes. the announcers have gotten totally bored of it. <laughs> right. Plus, like we said, they are just like seemingly pressed for time. They're they're like their flight is leaving any minute now. Judy, we have to get in the car. Oh, right. I don't care. You brushing your teeth. We have to go. <laughs> that should be packed already. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, so this segment just keeps going, and the announcers just start talking over it and then go to commercial, and it just goes to commercial while this so, is still happening. So, Bobby, what are you up to the rest of the evening? <laughs> uh, Jericho says that he was not happy to find out that his first real program was going to be with Nick Patrick. Oh, yeah. He's just yeah. like, that sucks. That's a ref. That's not good for me. <laughs> right. He also says that he was not excited to work for Teddy Long uh, or, you know, kayfabe have him as his manager or whatever yeah he says that long is a good guy and everything but his clients were like jobbers and he doesn't want to be lumped in with the yeah jim powers and the craig Pittmans of the world because he's basically like a, a jobber manager exactly yeah, yeah. so, so he's, I, he's like you know like you're a nice guy and everything but you're bad you're bad for people <laughs> back in the arena harlem heats music plays out with cherry but not his brother or colonel robert parker is booker t our main event, as far as matches go, is Booker T versus Lex Luger, and I, as the kids say, am here for it. <laughs> Lex Luger's music plays like the glorious sounds of a 1980s Lamborghini promo video, and out comes the total package. Uh, before the match, we get a very entertaining and very short uh, inset promo from Colonel Parker. Yeah. I really liked it. <laughs> I know there's a lot of you born yesterdays out there figuring that maybe there's some problem between myself, Booker T, and the Harlem Heat. Well, that's absolutely absurd. Maybe you're thinking that they're thinking out there that I was the reason they lost their belt at the Halloween Havoc. That's also impossible. I know this, if they did think that, my beautiful twinkle eyes would take care of all of it in a snap. He assures us that there's no problems between him and the Harlem Heat, and the Heat certainly don't blame him for their loss in <laughs> Halloween Havoc. And even if they did blame him, his twinkle eyes would take care of it. It's short but sweet. It's very funny. I love Colonel. Like, every time he's yeah. out, I like him more and more. <laughs> it's like, he's like just a classic character where it's, where it's like, if I say it out loud, then it will be true. Yes, exactly. Yes, he 100% <laughs> believes his own lies. Yeah, and it's just like he's always putting out fires. And yes. I, it's, I don't I don't know how he does it, but I love how he's just always sweating. Yes. He is just like he's so stressed out over everything he does because everything's about to fall <laughs> to shambles. <laughs> Booker and Luger start slow with wrist locks and reverses. Lex has an attempt at a press slam that he realizes is not going to happen, so he turns it into an awkward atomic drop instead, before clotheslining Booker over the top rope. Sherry attends to Book, and the crowd is hot for Luger. Booker and AC Green have some words, and then he and Lex lock up back in the ring, and now Luger takes control with punches and kicks. Sherry and Green argue on the outside as Booker rams Lex's head into the corner on the inside. Luger gets back into things with a punch to the gut and a knee lift. Eric talks a bit about Piper, pointing out that the last time he saw the guy, he was president of the WWF. Mm -hmm. He insists that he doesn't know what's going on in Piper's life or mind and is basically continuing to play coy about the idea that there's going to be any kind of match or any, we may never see Piper again, who knows? This yeah. was this was just a one-time confrontation you guys um and this this just reminded me it's like oh right the these nitros came onto the network a lot earlier because yeah. it's just the blanking out of the wwf instead of just saying it nowadays right you remember uh the Kristen wig character from saturday Night live that was uh she was like don't make me sing when no one was making her sing my daughter it was just like a lady at a party who desperately wanted to sing oh so she's okay. always like going over the piano and be like oh don't make me sing and then just bursting out into yeah. song okay that's bischoff here like 
don't make me deny this. Don't make me talk about this Piper thing, you guys. It's no big deal. And everyone's like, <laughs> okay, fine. Like, who is Hogan going to face then? Yeah. Oh, the Piper, it was just, he's just stopping by. We're old friends. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, we get that. <laughs> it's like, that was yesterday. What are we doing tonight? <laughs> Luger gets some kicks in the corner, and they are really selling that Luger is now an aggressive killer. Like, uh, he is wrestling a little more aggressive than normal, and they've notably, even though he's the baby face, mm-hmm. he is getting most of the offense, a little inversion of, like, your normal, you know, two named guys going against each other. Normally, your heel takes over most of the match, baby face makes a comeback and wins, or doesn't. This time, like, Luger is just in control most of this match. And yeah. Booker occasionally gets in there, but then Luger takes back over and is showing a little more of an aggressive move set than he normally does. I mean, I guess... I mean, I think if they wouldn't have mentioned it, I wouldn't have noticed much difference in his. Sure. I mean, it, it is different than other, like, Nitro matches in which it's kind of like 50-50 with the action. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I guess that unless they... Unless you didn't think they went far enough with that? I, I just feel like if, if, it, if he was more intense, he's like 5% more intense. Yeah. It doesn't really... It's, it's not like he's cheating or he's like just like bending the rules or anything like that. I, I didn't see, a, I don't really see much of a difference to be honest. Fair enough. Uh, Eric says maybe Luger has finally put his issues with Sting behind him and maybe he's becoming the leader that WCW needs. <laughs> right as he says that, <laughs> right. Booker hits Luger with a thumb to the eye and a side slam. Booker then misses a top rope forearm and Luger hits an elbow for a two count as we go to commercial. <laughs> just- no, it's fine. Luger can ignore Sting, even for a second. <laughs> it's just, it, it's just, I felt, it's like pretty obvious foreshadowing. Because yeah. like, I, yeah, we saw Sting. He's yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he disappeared conveniently for a while. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> back from break and Booker has a rest hold applied. Luger fights his way out and they go back and forth a bit until Lex spins Booker around with a forearm before dropping a couple elbows. Luger telegraphs a back body drop and... Booker hits some kicks, ending with a big axe kick for two. We get another side slam from Booker as a Luger chant starts and dies. Another side slam from Booker as a Luger chant starts up in the crowd but dies quickly. Eric promises us that tonight we'll see everything in the Piper segment that we didn't get to see on the pay-per-view. And spoiler alert, that's a lie. But but guys, after that that that's it. That's, the, that's all we're seeing of Piper. We're showing it one more time tonight, just for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a third side slam from Booker, who then heads up for the Harlem Hangover. Luger moves out of the way, though. He does kind of get clipped a little bit in the head by Booker's foot accidentally, but yeah. he just no sells it because that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Luger then calls for the rack forever from the crowd. Uh, so the way that I want to describe this, I have to tell you what's supposed to happen, okay. and then I'll tell you what does happen. Sure. Luger is supposed to start to put the rack on, see Sting in the rafters, get distracted, and run off to get counted out. Okay. What happens is he starts calling for the rack. He looks up into the rafters. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sting is not there yet. Okay. He calls for the rack for like five more seconds. Uh-huh. He looks up in the rafters. <laughs> Sting is not there yet. Okay. <laughs> he walks over to Booker. He kind of grabs him a little bit. He looks to the rafters. <laughs> Sting is not there yet. He bends down, starts like actually lifting Booker onto his shoulders. So now he is facing away from where Sting is. Sting is now behind him. Uh-huh. He is bent over, looking essentially at the ground, at his boots. Yep. But no, something in his mind now his sting sense is tingling (laughs) 
And so he stops in the middle of putting the rack on, stands straight up, and turns around, and there's Sting now to distract him. <laughs> it looks insane. Only Lex Luger <laughs> could goof up that bad. All he had to do was Just put him in the rack. Was put him in the rack and then turn and see Sting and drop him. Because it's, Sting knows his cue. It's like, I think he didn't want to put the rack on at all and not have Booker give up. Like, if the rack was on, Booker must instantly submit. Right. You know, so he was like, well, I can't put the rack on. It's too devastating. I, it's it's just insane the way it comes across. He's yeah. just looking and looking and looking and uh, ends up just turning his body in completely the wrong way and give like just giving away the whole thing. Uh, it's hilarious. I loved it. I laughed and laughed. Uh, so Luger jumps the guardrail. He runs off. Uh, he, I say runs, but as soon as he gets up to the steps, he slowly walks his way up to where Sting is. Yeah, he is now in no rush. I that's I noticed that too because Sting like Sting's gone. Yeah, like Luger has you have you have no idea where he's gonna be by the time you get up there, but you are taking your sweet ass time. Yeah, he walks up there, and then when he gets up there to the concourse, he very slowly walks like to the back through the curtain. He is in yeah, like you said, no rush. Randy Anderson counts out Lex, and Booker T gets the count out victory. I love very funny heel thing is that Booker celebrates. Uh, it's the old Daniel Bryan thing when he had his first heel run, yeah. where he won by a fluke and acted like he just won the Super Bowl. Yep, it's I love that. It's always funny. Mm-hmm. Booker is very happy that he won. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's great. We go to commercial. Uh, I didn't think I was really excited when I saw Luger versus Booker T. It wasn't that special. They felt like they were just killing time until they got to that ending. Right. Probably one of those where, like we say every once in a while, they knew the ending and so they didn't put in their best effort. Sure. No, I can. Yeah, I can see that. I like, mean, once Booker hit that third side slam, I was like, oh, these guys are on autopilot. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a it's a it's a noteworthy because it's the first uh, singles main event that B- Booker T's ever had on Nitro. Oh, that's a good point. Um, in which spoiler, he has more to in the future. Uh-huh. Um, so I I just thought that was just kind of neat when I when I researched that. But other than that, this is this is r- I think right from the moment when he tried to do the press slam and it didn't work out, it's like oh nope, they're not going to pick it up after this. They just it, the effort just was not there afterwards. So. Um, and, and yeah, there's just, it's Luger. You had one job, <laughs> just put him in the rack. Yeah, I know. But, but, but what if he's not there in time? Just put him in the rack Luger, but, but he might not, <laughs> he might not be there in time. It, it just <laughs> poor Lex, his brain got in the way. <laughs> we go to commercial and when we come back, Eric says again, that Piper asked for five minutes to confront Hogan. <laughs> WCW decided to grab him that time, no (laughs) more, no less. He then promises a, quote, unedited and unabridged look at the confrontation from last night. Listen, what I'm going to show you (laughs) is definitely the whole thing. Like, we didn't even see the whole thing on the pay-per-view. The pay-per-view cut off early. Right. So that's twice tonight they've told us that we're going to see everything that we missed last night. Uh, That is immediately undercut by the fact that when they start the clip, it starts several minutes into the segment. Yeah. So already, <laughs> you're lying. Like, this is... From second one, we have been had. <laughs> yes. This is abridged and edited. <laughs> right. It's definitely not abridged. <laughs> definitely not edited. <laughs> uh, so, I'm not going to recap the whole thing, because we just talked about it on last week's episode, or, or we just talked about it in our last episode, covering Halloween Havoc. But we get Hogan saying that they were neck and neck. We get Piper lecturing Hogan. 
Piper telling Hogan to straighten up, Hogan saying that Piper needs to squat to pee, etc., etc. Right. Uh, this unedited, unabridged footage that was supposed to show us everything that we didn't see at the pay-per-view then cuts off well before the pay-per-view segment actually ended. <laughs> so not only do we not see the stuff that was cut off uh, at Halloween Havoc last night, we don't even see everything that happened at Halloween Havoc. This is ridiculous. It's it's This is truly like Donald Trump levels of blatant lying. <laughs> And it's clear that the reason it's happening is just poor time management because it's not like it's their plan. They just suddenly in the middle of the video, the NWO music is going off mm. and we just cut to the arena and uh, they're coming out. Eric acknowledges that they did. He says, like, we did have to cut that footage. I'm going to try to bring you the full thing in the future. Uh, like he doesn't. He just says, like, we're on a time crunch. So we had to edit out. Although what's weird is he says we had to edit out some of the beginning. He doesn't admit that, like, there's a bunch of stuff we didn't see and the stuff we didn't even see last night. He's just like, okay, you caught me. I did say unedited a few times, and that <laughs> right. that was definitely edited. <laughs> right. From the first second it started, it was definitely edited. Yeah. In yeah. A <laughs> but time management is not their strong suit tonight. I mean, in their defense, I didn't need to see a replay anyway. I would have liked if they had just shown the part that got cut off. Yeah. That would make sense. Like, this is exclusive footage. Yeah. That would be something that you could get people hyped up about when if they were someone that watched a pay-per-view and were like, hey, what the fuck? They were still talking. I will say in their defense, uh-huh. um, the reason why this is not at all comparable to the much more famous DDP Goldberg situation is they had not advertised Piper at all. Mm-hmm. So at least when the pay-per-view cut off last night, I didn't miss anything that I'd paid for. Right. I didn't go like, you told me I was going to see this great Piper thing, and then you didn't even let me watch all of it. Like, yeah. it was all bonus as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, and one, one was a time constraint. The other one was like an outage. Right. Out comes the giant Vincent, Hogan, and Ted DiBiase, who head to the ring. John Wayne of the 90s really came through for the whole organization of the NWO. You know, we told you what was going to happen as we strutted by the wounded soldiers of the WCW. There was no question in Mr. DiBiase's mind or anybody else's mind that the end W.O. is the only superior body in the professional wrestling business. We have conquered and won. It's not over, Hogan. Don't kid yourself. (laughs) Now, matters at hand. First off, the Nacho Man. Ooh, yeah, Randy Savage. Macho man, if you're watching from your hospital bed, brother, I want you to know I have nothing but the utmost respect for you because the cross to bear of the whole WCW 
was put on your back last night, Jack. And with all the powers in the macho man's little teeny Slim Jim, you couldn't get the job done. Oh, and by the way, macho man, I'm gonna take real, real good care of Miss Elizabeth for you. <laughs> anyway, the thing that was so electric, the thing that put the icing on the cake was after we proved the NWO reigned supreme, the outsiders took the titles. Hollywood Hulk Hogan showed the whole world in Hollywood that I'm nothing but box office from head to toe. If there was ever any question in anybody's mind who the superstar of the 90s is, who is at the top of the pecking order, it was only proved when one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, the rowdy one, that little red-haired stepchild, Roddy Piper, came out and was man enough to admit that he always, always idolized Hulk Hogan and couldn't even lace up my boots. And when I looked in Piper's eyes, after he kept admiring my accomplishments, I saw the fear in his eyes, and as he turned his skirt and ran, that was the best decision of his life. And now, Mr. DiBiase, now that I've held up my end of the bargain and the NWO for life, as soon as we get done doing what we're gonna do, I'm gonna go party with a big brother, Vince, and the new champs, the Outsiders. Tell them what I've been waiting to do, Mr. DiBiase. We'll be in the business, man, that we are. Hollywood and I decided a long time ago that we wouldn't do this until we had taken care of business and firmly, firmly established the foundation of the NWO. And since we have the World Heavyweight title, the World Tag Team titles, the U.S. Heavyweight title, I think that foundation has been done. So for all you NWO loyals who love to be entertained by Hollywood, tonight's the night. So Hollywood, go ahead. Entertain him, brother. Hogan shows off his title and bows to the crowd. AC Green loves this. <laughs> Hogan asks for the lights to be dim and to be hit with that Hollywood spotlight. Uh, movies don't normally have spotlights that I've noticed. That's more of a Broadway thing. <laughs> it's more of a stage acting, but okay, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I, I mean, I'm going to guess he's never in a spotlight in any movie <laughs> he was in, so, but whatever. The, do your thing, Hogan. Hogan says that he's the John Wayne of the 90s and that the NWO told us what was going to happen and that there's no question that the NWO is now the only superior body in the wrestling business. Which, so it makes sense that he's the John Wayne of the 90s because he's also an old racist guy. <laughs> <laughs> Drag him, king. <laughs> I'm bringing out a lot of young people phrases tonight. I don't know what's going on with me. Too much time on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, man, and I just got back on, too, so, <laughs> so next week, it's just going to be a mess. <laughs> the NWO have conquered and won, says Hogan. Hogan says if Savage is watching from his hospital bed, he wants Randy to know that he has the utmost respect for him for carrying the cross of the entire WCW, but with all the powers in Randy's little Slim Jim, he just couldn't get the job done. What's he talking about? 
He is talking about his penis, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, if in case that wasn't clear, Hogan promises to take good care of Miss Elizabeth. Oh, he does the little, he does like the, the shapely figure yeah, thing, too. Yeah, he's like, this is what a woman's body looks like, and I like that. And I'm going to have sex with her I'm later. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> Wait, at first I was like, yeah, that's that's a gross reference. But then when he did like the shapely thing, I'm like, oh, now it's really obvious. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought the whole thing was about like, it's really, really innuendo, and like if, if Savage got mad, he'd be like, "No, I'm just saying that I'm like tending to her needs." Oh, sure, yeah, he's tending to her needs, all right. Uh, yeah. Hogan goes on to say, after the NWO proved their supremacy, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, Roddy Piper, came out and was man enough to admit that he had always idolized Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and that he couldn't even lace up the Hulkster's boots. See. When Hollywood Hogan's blatantly lying, yeah. it's funny. It's great. Yes. It's very good. I love Especially it. Especially since, like, I like it with the idea that we just watched the video. Right. Or, yes. Like, in theory, we, we just watched everything that says otherwise. Right. Listen, Hogan, I've always greatly admired your work. And you're definitely not bald. <laughs> <laughs> your movies are so good. <laughs> He claims to have seen the fear in Piper's eyes before he turned his skirt and ran. He then gives the mic to DiBiase, who talks while Hogan poses. DiBiase says that they've got basically all the titles, and now Hollywood will entertain the NWO loyalists. Like, DiBiase says nothing. I don't think he was prepared. I think Hogan just was like, I want to be out here longer, so you say some words now. It's like I was trying to follow along, and they were suggesting that, like, this was a thing that Hogan was going to do once they had taken care of business. Yeah. And the thing was posing for the fans one night. Yeah, to entertain the crowd. It, it's so, it, it's definitely another one of those Hogan promos that just like ran on. And then they like, <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, what's the punchline to this? Oh, we don't know. Here, Ted, you, you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, Hogan just does some like, he does his normal posing, his like uh, cup the ear for the cheers. He's doing it a little more sarcastically tonight. Yeah. Um, but it's I liked it. I thought it was great, honestly. Eric says uh, that due to this, due to Hogan lying about what Piper said, mm-hmm. Eric is now going to check in what Roddy Piper has to say about all this. Oh. So I guess the idea is like what happened last night was a one and done. That was it. Mm-hmm. But now that Hogan has come out here and lied about it, yeah, that's probably going to push Piper into doing some other step and it's going to create this escalation that may actually result in something in the future. We'll right. see. We'll see. That's for sure. Uh, so I thought that was an okay show. Uh, it moved quickly because they were just trying to get to the next thing constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of good wrestling, although the way it was, the maybe matches were structured in terms of the individual stories didn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. But like, it's not like the wrestling was, was difficult to watch or hard to get through. Right. Even, like, the Ricky Morton Jarrett stuff was like, oh, this is good. I, mm-hmm. I don't think there was a bad match on the show, and it's, God, it's been a while since, like, Luger and Booker was uh, the worst match, yeah. and it, it wasn't, I think it was terrible. Uh, maybe it just I, got, Maybe not terrible, but it wasn't good. It was yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, so that was no, the I, one bad match on the show, but every other match was at least a little bit good. Yeah, I I thought I thought all the, the wrestling, the matches were good. It's one of the it's it's a really poor ending to the yeah, show. Sure. I mean, once they get to like we're gonna kind of show this promo from last night. Yeah. And then Hogan's gonna come out and literally say nothing, and then we just end. 
I mean, yeah, because usually when they've done these uh, these like wrestler promos or appearances yeah. to end it, then we go back to the commentators to kind of like summarize or to indicate like, oh, we're getting to the end of the show. Here's our thoughts. Sure. But then they didn't like time constraints. They didn't even do that. It just ended. Yeah. So it's just it's it's like um, you feel like you don't get the whole story of this Nitro until you watch next Nitro. I disagree a little bit. I thought the ending was okay. Or I just thought Hogan's, he had his charisma all the way turned up tonight. And so, like, yeah, he wasn't really saying anything, but he just carried it so well. And I think sometimes when he's really on, it just wor- or it works for me anyway. And what? so I, I like I the mean, promo enough that I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, it. I get, I get like, the, the point of, like, having that as the way to end. Yeah. But it, to me, it should have been, like, unless he's kind of, directing at like piper like yeah a way to go to because i don't feel like he really goads him sure besides like kind of like off where where he says that about like everyone everyone thinks that that he's the greatest that there is right and it kind of went back to like i won last night so i don't have to worry about anything anymore i'll flex for you good night everyone yeah really i mean really all you had was that one line from bischoff about like i'm gonna see what piper has to say about that yeah and you're right maybe with more time they could have made it clearer that like that's actually a storyline development that's happening that yeah. he's going to be going to piper for a response yeah or having hogan saying like he turned and ran and it's a good thing that he didn't come back because he wouldn't want none of this, this sort right of, something yeah. to indicate like oh now hogan's trying to like egg him on sure all right well there is really only one thing left for our show and that is our mvp and our segment of the night uh dave Let's start with MVP this week, and uh, who was yours? I'll give my MVP to Eddie Guerrero because to turn around the next night and wrestle with broken ribs yeah. against a wrestler that could easily break more of your ribs. Yeah. Um, just I realize that he's like new in the company, and if they tell him to wrestle the next night, how is he? He's not going to say no. Right. You know. So I I like the fact that. Um, it, it seemed like that they both understood to wrestle like a different way to yeah. make sure he didn't get injured. And not only the ribs, but we I we haven't mentioned up till now that fever that he had yesterday. From what I understand, he was feeling better on that front today. Yeah. So he's got the rib injury now. But yeah, he, I mean, he was very sick. Yeah. Like less than twenty four hours, or basically twenty four hours ago. Yeah. And then and then they I f- they did a really good job of incorporating the injury to them into the match. Yeah. Without re injuring him. All things considered, like he gave a pretty, he gave a really good performance for what his condition was. So yeah. my MVP is Eddie Guerrero. All right. Well, mine uh, written down here was Eddie Guerrero. Uh, in the interest of just having two different ones for mm-hmm. for interest sake, I'm gonna go with the most underappreciated member of the WCW roster, me and Mike Penis, because <laughs> yes. uh, he really entertained me when I was not expecting to be entertained. Part of that was uh, also thanks to Diamond Dallas Page, but like Page is gonna get plenty of love from us over the years ahead whereas mm. mike enos is a name that's largely forgotten to. yeah uh so i'm giving him my mvp of the night and i'm sure he will take that as a consolation that he is not a rich and famous uh mega millionaire like ddp is to this day <laughs> right <laughs> me and mike you need to come up with penis yoga or something <laughs> right. penis yoga. Gross. All right. Segment of the night. I will start first. Uh, my segment of the night. Uh, I'm going to give it to. <laughs> this is more moment of the night. Tiny moment. Sure. I'm giving it to Colonel Robert Parker's inset promo. Okay. <laughs> it was no. just delightful. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> For match of the night or segment of the night, I'll, I'll go with um, 
the, the idea of Booker T versus Lex Luger, uh, sure. especially for the fact that, like I said, it is, is actually the first singles main event match on Nitro for Booker T, which will be the first of many. And like like you mentioned too, how he celebrated like he won the World Heavyweight Championship when he won by countout. Um, there was like I just I like the fact that Booker T like he had a presence where it's like yeah this guy would be fine as a singles wrestler. Sure, he'd be fine going up against bigger names. Like right. he's ready to step up his game. So um, I'll I'll give that as kind of like the segment match of the night for me. Sounds good. All right. Well, this is normally where we do things like our raw recap, our ratings roundup. Observe this. Uh, just all those like housekeeping things or those little things that tell you about kind of the wrestling world uh, in this same week of 1996. But as we announced in two episodes ago, we are actually going to start uh, putting those out in mini episodes that'll come out one week after this episode as a way of helping tide you over until we release another Nitro review. Uh, so we will see you one week with all that right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. The match was everything we thought it would be. High flying moves, high risk maneuvers.